0: This episode of the show is brought to you by Louisville Music Studios. Located at 4220 Trio Avenue in Louisville, Kentucky. 40219 is the zip code. The phone number for booking rehearsal time is 502-693-7462. Louisville Music Studios is an awesome rehearsal place. They have hourly rooms you can rent. They have monthly rooms you can rent. If you want to camp out and work on a bunch of stuff and build a band, whatever you want to do, the staff there is awesome. David, Aaron, and Justin are amazing. Uh, They have helped me out greatly, both at LMS and at a gig. Uh, So I suggest you go check them out if you have not already. They have really cool rates, including free. That's right. If you call that number to book some rehearsal time and you mention the Bar Star Podcast, you will get your first hour of rehearsal for free. Yes, free. I'm giving away free shit, people. That's awesome. So take advantage of it. Go check out Louisville Music Studios if you haven't already. And if you already have, then you know what's up. And, uh, oh yeah, enjoy this episode of the Bar Star Podcast. The Bar Star Podcast is a show full of stories, opinions, and sarcasm hosted by a working musician based in Louisville, Kentucky.
1: Wait a second. This guy knows he's a drummer, right? Not an actual musician. Why would anybody want to... Never mind. Never mind.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Barstar Podcast. I am your host, Stephen O'Reilly. I want to thank you guys for coming back once again to hang out with my silly ass. I appreciate the support, and I hope you're going to the website and buying shit. I've always wanted to say that. I don't really mean it. I kind of mean it, but I really don't. If you buy some shirts for me, not only will you be wearing my handwriting on your back, uh, you will also be supporting the show. So I'm not looking to make money, I'm just looking to put the money back into the show. So don't think I'm schlepping gear or hawking gear just so I can get rich, because God knows that's not true. Uh, Seriously, if you haven't checked out the website, please do so. It is barstarpodcast.com. I hope everybody had a good week, I hope everybody is doing well, and as always, I hope you guys went out and did some shit. Please take a minute to check out my sponsor, Prophecy Inc., located in the ultra-fabulous, amazing beautiful Highlands in Louisville, Kentucky. Go into the shop, mention the Bar Star Podcast and you will get 10% off your tattoo by any artist in the shop, not just Travis. And please take a moment to check out my brand new sponsor, Louisville Music Studios located at 4220 Trio Avenue. They're an amazing rehearsal spot. They have all kinds of cool rooms, cool gear and they're giving shit away. With a two hour minimum, if you mention the Bar Star Podcast when you call to book rehearsal time, you will get your first hour for free. Free shit. That I, Seriously, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It's just free shit. How can you say no to free shit? Now we got all the business out of the way. I am hanging out with a gentleman who... I wouldn't say... Wh- We don't know each other, but we don't really know each other super, super well. Right. But what we do know about each other is you're a monster.
1: And we play pretty fucking well together a couple times that we played played. Yeah, not in the literal sense of a monster. Well, I kind of am. (laughs) 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 You haven't been married to me, so maybe. maybe All right, fair enough.
0: I am hanging out with my buddy, a one Mr. Frank Green, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me, dude. Thanks for making the time to come over.
1: I've been trying to get on this thing for like six months.
0: That is very true, kids. I cannot
1: tell a fucking lie. That is very true. I'm like, can I get on the podcast, Joe? Yo? And you're like, yeah, let me get back to you. S- crickets. Three and a half months worth of crickets. Like the whole summer season worth of crickets. I promise it's not on purpose, dude. No, it's okay. No, I don't. I'm not. I'm not upset. You I haven't should. thought about it. Lies.
0: I haven't, I haven't dated it. Lies. You know how I know you're lying? Because when I texted you and said, do you want to be on the podcast, I don't even think this the fucking thing got done sending and you said, yes. Yes.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I don't know why you're thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm not sitting here waiting for your text. Yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. Five and a half months and I'm oh, sitting there waiting up. for the text. <laughs> cobwebs. <God. laughs> you got cobwebs in your vagina. I've got a lot of things in there. Ooh, I like it. How's things, man? How's life? Good. Busy. Complicated. Uh, Yes. And pretty good at the moment. A little scary, but that's what life is. It is. It it is very scary. Um,
0: It's odd. Most people that know me and are close to me know that uh, my buddy Jamie passed away, and then a friend of my wife's passed away, Mm -mm -mm. and it was like, (sighs) stop. Y'all stop. Just stop. Let's stop this fucking dying jet. Yeah. So that's where I am with the scary part of it. The rest of it, eh, don't work itself out. That's where I am at with the scary part. I gotcha. So to start this whole thing, I want to say, this is where I wish I had a camera because I'm totally staring at the ceiling. Okay. I want to say the first time I met you was
1: when you were in Ugly. Yeah. Is that correct or is that incorrect? I I think probably. Okay. I think that is correct. I heard your name before I met you from Kevin. Never heard of him.
0: Ah, uh, I see what I did there. Man. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's where I met you. But I don't want to kind of. I don't want to start there because this one, this show is going to be cool for me because there's a shit ton I don't know about you. Okay. So how long have you been playing? Let's start there because um, I know you were born and you grew up and all that bullshit. We got I five. am officially old i'm i mean but i am
1: and it's scary um to admit that i'm 49 but i started playing the bass i think when i was probably 14
0: gotcha
1: i got a guitar before that like a sears like a harmony guitar right i wanted like an electric guitar my parents got me the the ones that come in the cardboard box that are like six inches thick box <laughs> you know i don't I mean, talk about i mean but you know a kid wants a guitar and i'd already paul stanley to an acoustic guitar when I was much younger in the basement, so nice. I can see that they weren't probably roaring to get me another one. Right. Um, but I started there, and I, you know, my brother got me like a Pete Townsend chord book and stuff like that, and I kind of just kind of floundered, right, a little bit, and um and then a friend of mine let me hold a bass and let me borrow a bass, kind of a cheap bass, and I was like, oh, yeah. Because I I was a big kid, I was my height when I was in tenth grade. Obviously, I was much slimmer then. I don't think I was slim, but (laughs) how tall are you? I'm six one. Okay. Um, I was mid fifty, mid two forty probably. I was a big strapping football playing kid, right? Um, But it fit me. I mean, I was like the wider neck, and it was just it felt right, and I was like instantly, it was the thing.
0: Right. Now, that that makes complete sense because I. I, uh... And I'm not throwing you under the bus. I know you listened to my show before. I just don't know which ones you've listened to, but I talked about it on the show. My first instrument was guitar, and I hated it right. It lasted like a fucking week. It was just all weird and awkward, and I was like, "I don't understand this fucking left hand. I just hated it right and when I sat down behind a drum kit, I went, "Oh, oh yeah, this is right.
1: this is right, yeah, so I know exactly what you're talking about um and my 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 guitar skills came in secondary, you know i i I knew a chord or two. Mm-hmm. But my skill came in after I learned, started learning how to play the bass, and I st- kind of started understanding how things worked. Right. Uh, you know, here's a note, and here's an oh, that's the other note in a chord. Gotcha. And I went, okay, I can play a chord over here. Okay, I can do this here. I can do that over there. Right. And so it came secondarily.
0: Now, are, do you play,
1: and this is a silly question, but it'll make sense to you. Do you play as much guitar as you do bass? I play Ten times more guitar than I do bass. Really? Absolutely. I never play the bass unless I'm rehearsing bass with a band, mm-hmm. or I'm gigging, or recording it. That's crazy. No, no. I, that I don't know why that shocks me slightly, but it does. Never.
0: Huh. Interesting.
1: I don't dislike it. It's it's just something I've done. It's like you know somebody who's a race car driver for a long time. I guess thirty-five years I've been playing the bass.
0: Right. Well, if you've started at fourteen, yeah, because I started at thirteen. I just
1: hit thirty years of playing. Right. Because so, I'm forty-three. Yeah. So it's like, I get it. I'm, I'm not. I'm retired, but I'm, I'm. I really need. I really want to do something else. Right.
0: No, I'm never going to
1: get rid of that skill, or I'm never going to lose that skill. But right. I've got other. I've got other ways I'd like to spend my time.
0: No, 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 I get it. I I, uh, I had this conversation with a lot of people, especially non-musicians, because they just don't get it. Mm-hmm. In the non-musician listeners of my show, I love you, but you just don't fucking get it. They don't. Um, it, it, somebody told me the other... In fact, it was probably a week or so ago. Somebody was saying something about... Uh, as a non-musician, and he said, every time you, you talk about gigging, you're always talking about money. I mean, do you just do this for money? And I went... Yes. Number one, you've never seen me play. I'll give you a pass on that. But the people that have seen me play, what I do physically to my body, yes. I do it for money now because it fucking hurts. I've been doing it for 30 years.
1: But you know what I mean? two, this is your job.
0: True, true. I was getting to that part too, <laughs> but its that's actually the more important part. It doesn't mean that I don't love... Playing drums. It doesn't mean that I don't love music. It doesn't mean that I don't love playing in front of people. The other day, for the first time in God knows how long, I went to my rehearsal spot at Louisville Music Studios. I like that plug,
2: that was awesome.
0: <laughs> and I put in earbuds and I played literally 20 songs. And I couldn't tell you the last time I did that. Right. And there was nobody in the room. It was just me, my drums, and my earbuds, and it was like when I drove home. I didn't know if I was stoned. Or if I was drunk, I was just going, this is fucking awesome. But I don't have a chance to do that very often. Yeah. To do just what I want to do. It's always work, 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 work. Right. But that was the point I was making to this guy. It was like, dude, I've been doing this shit for 30 years. I love it. Absolutely. But when I go on stage and I'm in front of people and I'm putting my body through that shit, I'm assigning a value to that. Yeah. I work my fucking ass off to get where I am. I should be paid for it. Yeah, no different than a chemist, a scientist, or a house painter. Or a house painter, absolutely. A guy that does breaks, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Mm-mm. I, I've never understood that mentality from non-musicians. But of course, let's call a spade a fucking shovel. We don't really get paid to play. We get paid for all the other
1: bullshit. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the loading, in, the tearing down. <laughs> absolutely. And you know, and and if and if it wasn't and if and and if there was no intrinsic value to it, people wouldn't pay musicians to do it. Oh, absolutely not. You know, absolutely. they they because people oh well there you know there's no uh, there's no you know value that they bring. Well, they bring an atmosphere and they bring dancing and then they bring the people who like them and then they bring the the the, the drinks no, 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 So no. It it creates an atmosphere absolutely. and if it was useless, they would have stopped doing it forty years ago. Shit, longer than that, but yeah, you're it, right. But yeah, it's there's absolutely a value to it.
0: Oh, I, I agree completely. Totally squirrel moment. Sorry. How many projects are you in now? Currently, um actively two. Okay. Um Oh, in full disclosure, you don't have to say anything you don't want to. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I play bass uh, I still have
1: my secret project that everybody's bugging me about. I play bass for Dave Ernst and the early favorites. Gotcha. It's an original band, um which I have uh, seen. Oh, right on
0: right yeah at the right. at the headliners thing last year when we did the benefit that was that was like
1: an or that was maybe the first gig that was second gig that was badass because i still remember it. but that's i mean but that was the band's changed i mean danny flanagan's in the band scott lankford plays drums we got christopher fuller on keys it's a whole different band nice i mean it's a full it's fantastic band
0: that was a good show. I don't remember exactly what you sounded like, but I remember the show. Not just because we fucking played it. I don't give right, a shit about that because we were sitting there, and Todd O'Meara and I were going, "God damn, they're fucking good." I didn't know that you were still doing it though.
1: Oh yeah, um, and Dave. You know, Dave was in Star Star Billy with Peter Searcy back in the day, and Star Billy were huge. Right, Star Billy were just kind of legends. And but you know, before that, Peter was in um, Squirrel Bait Yep, and. Um, and he was in Big Wheel, mm-hmm. and they were they were underground kind of bands, and they were huge. He just built a reputation.
0: Oh yeah, Peter's awesome. I have I have nothing but love and respect for that dude. I don't know if you know this. I toured with him, probably a year, maybe a little less than a year after I moved here. Right on. I, heard, uh, I think I'd heard that. Yeah, I'd, I went out with him and uh, Bridget Kalen. and uh, that was I, Scott's job. Scott Langford's job. Scott moved to. That's why I know that name. Savannah. That, yes, that's why I know that name because Scott Langford played drums on a couple of Peter's records. Yeah, see, I I knew I was it was ringing a fucking bell. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm not. I don't want to get off on a squirrel mom. But I love touring Peter. It was so fun. I love his records. I love him as a human. I got to get him on the show. I got but that whole technology thing. Right, I suck at it. He's a he's, fan, in he's an
1: amazing talent. Absolutely, he is. Um, Hell of a fucking. Singer. I was lucky enough to play. We we did a, a Black Sabbath. It wasn't a tribute. It was just kind of a. We did two Halloweens at um, the New Vintage as a Sabbath tribute. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I P- didn't go because I was booked that night. Peter and me and Eric Horton and Ryan Murphy. Yep. And I'll be honest with you, I can't tell you how many times I looked over on stage and was like, "I am on stage with Peter fucking Searcy. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, there there are people in this town where I'm like, I'm never going to end up playing with him. There's never a situation I'm going to probably end up playing with. Him. Right. And, you know, then we played a couple more gigs and we played the Mercury Ballroom. And I'm like, I look and Kevin filled in for Eric that night because Eric had a gig. And I looked over and Peter, I'm like, you know, we're doing The Wizard. And there's Peter Searcy singing The Wizard. And here's Scott Mertz playing the harmonica (laughs) on The Wizard. (laughs) And there's Kevin and there's Ryan. And I'm like, I am so... Fucking lucky! I uh, did. I I get you know, it. i I've been go, in
0: situations like that.
1: Yeah. I just go back and I go. These are the times when I'm like, that's the reason that I still put in the effort. Oh, absolutely. And play. Those are the gigs that I, I hate to be cliche ish but those are the gigs that matter. Those are the gigs. Those are the, the gigs that keep you personally going. Absolutely, they are. Absolutely. I I was. Um, I
0: didn't know who Peter was. Or what his backstory was when I got right. the gig. And, and Ryan Murphy hooked me up with the gig. You know, I love you, fucker. But I didn't know who he was. He was right. like, hey, man, learn these tunes. If You, you have to go audition. I'm, I'm going way back in my memory. You have right. to go audition. Peter digs you, he'll take you out, and you guys can work it all out from there. So I, I got the record, and, and uh, I charted the tunes. Went over and met him, auditioned. We did like five or six tunes, and he goes, dude, hell Yeah um and then about halfway through the tour when we came home cuz we were out for like 2 or 3 weeks and we came home and then we went out for a couple of weeks if my memory serves me i could be wrong right um but in the break is when i really figured out who peter was and what he had done and i went oh
1: holy shit right <laughs> I, i've been just go, oh he's a dude and then i mean and and really peter's just a dude just like everybody's just a dude but right. you go oh okay he carries a lot of um, good baggage and a lot of cachet with him. Oh, absolutely. And, and when people go, Peter Searcy, they go, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're playing, oh, gotcha.
0: Yeah, exactly. I met, um, uh, that gig I was telling you about before we started recording, I met Ben sole Right, And I had right. never met him before. Right. Um, seen him play a few times. Dude's a monster. Absolutely. Um, and I said, hey Ben, I'm Stephen O'Reilly. I toured with Peter Searcy for a while and he spoke very highly of you and he looked at me and he went, you toured with Peter Searcy? I said, yeah. I said, I'm playing with Scott tonight. And he goes, I'll watch.
2: <laughs>
0: I was like, okay, I got cred. Oh,
2: right. Thanks, Peter.
0: You know what I mean? But it's it's because he's so revered because all that shit he's done.
1: But, and, but he continues to be... Peter isn't a, a, oh, like me for my reputation. Peter continuously writes and releases new music yep. and continues to do what Peter does best. Yep, He doesn't rely... You know, and I said this to Peter one night, and he just, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't brush it off, um, but I think he acknowledged it. I said, you know, because everybody goes, Peter, seriously, they go squirrel bait. When he was, I mean, he, they were kids, literal kids. Yeah. They were 16, 15 years old. You know, when somebody unearthed squirrel bait, the only known live squirrel bait footage like two years ago, three years ago, and it was all over like the indie music sites right Squirrel Bait is a jockey club in Covington Kentucky right and they are literal I mean Peter's voice is changing oh yeah you hear his changing from a boy to a it's you hear it and you go oh my god he's just a boy I can't imagine people knowing me and following me and revering me for shit I made I did as a 15 year old yeah that's gotta be fucking weird because I'm sure he's like, oh, that's great. But what about my new records? But what about Star Billy? What about Big Wheel? What about the shit that I did right. as a grown-up? And I like that first Big Wheel record. Oh, absolutely. It's a great record. My my first Holiday Manor, I think, was probably the one I came in on. I don't know if that was the first one or the second one. And then Slow Town. I loved Slow Town. Um, that was a little different. But Dave Ernst was in Big Wheel at the end, too. Right. With Scott and Peter. Yeah. Um, it's just a. It's been a pleasure with them. But getting back to to the early favorites, he is Dave is fantastic. Right. Dave is the only person I would play in a band that has a name of the guy who sings in the band. He's the only guy I would do that behind. He's such a nice guy. Right. He's such a hard worker. He's a salty to the earth person. He is no bullshit. He doesn't lie. He doesn't scheme. He right. has no. He takes everybody into consideration <clears throat> all the time. Right. Whatever he does for the band and with the band, he's always trying to accommodate. It's never me, 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 me. It's always you guys, you guys, you guys. Right. And you that, know?
0: that's a good thing when you have somebody like that. Yeah. Especially, like you said, if there are names in front. Right. It's
1: super important. At the end of the rehearsal, every time we rehearse, he goes, I just want to say thank you to all of you. I really you know, appreciate it. It means the world to me. And he means it. He's not just blowing smoke. Right. I vow to only... And then I've only broken this once. I vowed to only play music anymore with people who are good humans. Right. Whether it means taking a, a hit um, on the amount of gigs or the amount of people I play with. Right. So be it. Right. I'm not playing with shitty people who are um, complicated, who just, who aren't nice people. No, I get it. Who aren't worth my time.
0: No, I get it. It, 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 But that goes back to what we were just talking about a couple minutes ago about how long we've been doing this. Yeah. I've done my share of being on stage with assholes. Yeah. And everybody jokes about me having a reputation being an asshole. I'm not an asshole. I just don't sugarcoat to save your fucking feelings. Right. If you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. It's not my problem if you don't like the fucking answer. That's your problem. I've kind of become that guy, too. Well... Everybody, I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people tell me it's because I'm from New York or whatever. But once I was a kid, it's still my DNA. I get it, but it, it's I don't I, I don't care about the weather. I don't care about your mom and him. I don't know him. Right. Not not figured. You know what I'm saying? Right. Not literally, but it, it's just I don't. I hate small talk. I fucking hate it. Yeah. How are you? Cool. Oh, well, uh, e- uh, yeah. I, I've, I, I've already cool. checked out. Right. I'm done with you. Just say, hey, good, man. What about you? Yeah. Right on, man. Yes, good to see you. Exactly. Absolutely. Most. Of Let the, me start setting my shit up. Right. Most of the time when people ask me how I am, I'm, dude, I'm fucking awesome. And I go back to doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Now, if you want to have a conversation about something, I will sit, obviously I have a podcast. I will sit and talk to people for hours. Yeah. I just don't like idle chit chat because it's dumb to me and I don't get it. And it gives me a reputation of being an asshole, that, and I don't lie. It's okay. I don't sugarcoat, and I don't blow smoke up people's ass. One guy asked me, he's like, what do you think about my songs? I don't like them. They're not for me. They're good for what they are, but they're not for me. He was butthurt for years. That's not mean. They're good for what they are, and it's not for me. I didn't say they sucked. I didn't say you sucked. said so they're
1: good. They're just not my thing. Yeah. Man. And he was butthurt for years about it. It's like, well, people don't, when people talk, oh, I mean, you know, as well, people just, people want affirmation. People want people to tell them what they want to hear. Right. I mean, they just—they want to be wanted and they want to feel valued, right? And they—and they're willing to—they're willing to uh, be lied to and be bullshitted just because it. They can—they can compartmentalize it and say, "I'm—I don't care," right? I don't care because it made me feel good hearing somebody say, right, good songs, right. Uh, and, and I get it,
0: but the—the
1: the reason I said
0: all that was. One of the things you just said about you only want to play with good humans is the one thing that all my pseudo assholeness or real assholeness has gotten me. I have zero drama. How long have you known me? Yeah. Seven, eight, nine years? None. You ever heard any drama about me? Not once. I don't have any fucking drama because I don't put up with it. You're a douche. I don't like you get the fuck away from me and go fuck off. If that makes me an asshole, fine. But I have zero drama. Right. You know what I mean? So it's kind of... I'm in the same boat with you. I've my secret project that I won't talk about. They're everybody in the band, amazing humans. Yeah, they're fucking awesome people, and the boner, they're badass players. That's nice. So I've got like the double whammy going on.
1: That's perfect.
0: Yeah, but I, and and I put it together with that thought going, okay, who's great players, who's great humans? Right. Can I have both? And I got lucky. That all the people I called were like, "Yes, I would like to do this with you."
1: Right. I was, Fuck yeah!
0: I got all my first picks. That's, That's sweet. all I'm telling you, kids. I'm not telling you nothing else. But it's I, I'm right there with you. I, I don't I don't care. I'm not playing with shady people anymore. Right. And I, I told you that before we started recording. I'm sick of the po- the music politics in this town. I'll talk about it because I'm not from here. Right. You can right. send me hate mail. You fuckers got my email. Barstarpodcast.gmail. Right. Go ahead. The music <laughs> politics in in this town are stupid. You either want to play music or you don't. Right. Period. And if you don't want to play that style, that's okay. Cool. Don't call me for a jazz gig. Call Paul Culligan. Call Rob Edwards.
1: Right. Or whoever. Whatever.
0: Yeah. But at the same time, don't be afraid to say, I'm not the guy for this gig. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I do that all the time. I'm I, like, and hey, I've, man, and I'm, not, I, I'm not I've, your dude.
1: I've had to say that a couple of times in the past couple of years. Yeah, I'm not your dude. Yeah, I'm not your dude. Just right up front. Yeah. Let's talk about the money. And let's talk about what you're doing. Yeah. Or let's, or, you know, or I'll help you or, find or, or, somebody. Or what, you, what, what you're doing? Okay, cool. And then it turns into maybe something different, and I'm like, I'm not the guy for this. Yeah. You know. uh, and sometimes I'm just too busy, and I'm just trying to take, trying to get a little bit more on the plate, and right. then I go, What are you doing, man? Because I push myself into, I've never been able to say no the past five or six years. Right. It's been my number one asset because you have to be able to say no to anything. Oh yeah. Um, Not just a gig or you just have to be able to say, you just have to be honest. You do. And that's that's really, you know, it's not about saying yes or no. It's about being honest. Right. And I've not always been that guy, (laughs) you know, you know, I've never, I've, it's it's a fairly new concept in the last ten or so years in my in my life. Right. Um, well, we'll you, get into that a little deeper later. But it's it's <laughs> you no, know I mean, but it, maybe, but it's 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 something that you know you've got as a person, you've got to set a boundary for yourself. Right. And you just have to respect it. You go, not my thing. I can't just be good. I can't just be nice to people. I can't just do it because I don't want to hurt feelings. Right. I and I can't. I gotta stay visible. Bullshit. Right. We can get into that, like you said, later, but the one thing I was going to say
0: is, I think part of the reason so many of us musicians, and I'm putting us in a box, but right. I think part of the reason so many of us are like that, it's kind of bred into us. Yeah. Oh, man, great job. Oh, yeah, you guys sounded great. Oh, kick ass. 90% of it's bullshit. You don't believe it. Right. And they think the same thing about you. You're on stage, and you know you fucking shit to bed. You know it was horrible. Whatever sound went wrong, you played like shit, your band played like shit, your drummer was fucking swimming, doesn't matter what the case right. is, or what the case is, excuse me. And everybody, oh, you guys were awesome, and you're going, no, oh we God. weren't. Come on. Don't fucking lie to me. Right. But they won't. It's because the number it's, one. Yeah, because it's kind of that, that's what I mean, it's kind of, as musicians, we're bred that way to lift each other up. But then you kind of get that double-edged sword, because you don't want to tear anybody down either. No,
1: but... I I I found my personal, um, my personal way to approach that is if I feel like somebody was great or really good, and I was like, man, that that was great. I will I will go up to them and I will say, hey, man, I loved it. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'll point out something. You know, I make you know if I like something from a set or from a from a band, mm-hmm. I'll go into what I liked. You or, know, or I, why you liked it. Yeah. Why I liked it. And I'm. It's not just hey man, sounded great. Yeah. Because like you, it goes back to the small talk. It's 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 a formality that is total bullshit. That I agree. people feel like that they are obligated to say sounded great. Don't don't fucking I don't want to hear it. No. I don't need it. Especially nowadays when I look out in the
0: floor and everybody's
1: got their fucking face in their phone. You're not paying attention no. to any goddamn way. I want somebody to come up and go hey man, the sound was fucking weird or or to go man it sounded good but man that, that you know I don't know about whatever I would hundred to one oh, yeah. I want that guy oh, absolutely. to be honest when I when I go see a band and something's weird I I feel like a or if something's obviously not right mm-hmm. I feel like it's my obligation if they're a friend of mine or if they're just an acquaintance to go hey I love what you're doing. But here's the thing: the I, sound is fucked, or yep. you, there's some issue with volume on stage.
0: I, I am 100 the same way. I if I'm aquate if I if you're a complete stranger to me, I will not do it. It's not my place because it's you don't place. know me. But if we're at least an acquaintance or above friends and all that shit, I do it all the time. Well, the, the last time I went and saw Soul Circus, I uh, I pulled Sean to the side and I said, "You guys sound great, but you need to turn your sax player." up. He goes, "No shit." I said, "No shit." I said, no shit. I said "He's blowing his ass off, and nobody can hear him." Right. And he went. Well, fucking thanks. It wasn't an issue because obviously he wants his band to sound good, right? And I know what I'm listening to because I've been doing this for so long. And I was right. like, I ain't stepping on your toes, brother. But turn him up. Yeah. And he's like, Cool, thanks. And it wasn't. It was never an issue. It wasn't. Hey, that was fucked up. You come to my. He appreciated. No, it.
1: because he's a pro. Yeah. I mean, I mean he appreciated if, if, it. If I walk up in a band that's got the guitar player way down in the mix and you can't even fucking hear him mm-hmm. on the break, or I go up to you know, I go up to, if you know a lot of times. We Dave Ernst played. <laughs> we played Nashville for Americana Fest a month and a half ago. Nice. We and the bar we were playing, the guy who was sound man was also the bartender. You know, I mean, it, it's... <laughs> dude, it's it's Nashville. That's what I was gonna say. It's Nashville. <laughs> um, last a, a while back, I stayed in the hotel. I stayed in a hotel in Nashville, uh, and <laughs> it was the Opryland Hotel right across from um, the Grand Ole Opry. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about.
1: And The people who work in the restaurant and the bar get up and play songs once an hour. Play two or three songs. The girl will get up and sing a song, play guitar, and the guy will get up and sing a song and play the guitar. As they're working. It's part of the
2: gig. Right.
1: Um, But it was Greg Forsman, the guy who plays guitar, and the guy who plays guitar for Kenny Chesney, and a a woman, an older woman. And they they sounded fucking phenomenal. Playing as a trio. Right just playing each other's songs at this kind of a showcase thing. And I'm standing back by the bar, like kind of in the, where I'm supposed to be in the middle. Right. And I'm like, I look at Danny Flanagan. I'm like, how's that guitar sound? Is, can you, can you hear that? He's like, I don't think Greg's not, you know, Greg's the fucking man. And they're playing acoustic guitar. So I just go over and I stand by the board because I know nobody's manning the board and I'm just standing there and I'm looking for levels to see what's what. Okay, that's Greg. Okay, that's Greg's vocal. Okay, that's her vocal. Okay. And I'm doing that. I felt it was my duty to them to just walk up and see what the fuck was going on and see if I could help them present the people hear what they're doing correctly. Right. I wasn't trying to... I'm the mixed master, man. I just wanted the people to be able to hear the guitar and the voices. Right. And that's it. And and equal. Right. And 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 that's it. Um, I think everybody should just want to, everybody should want everyone else to sound good. I, I think so, too. And no matter how much you hate them, no matter how much you despise them, no matter how much you're jealous of someone, you don't like them. I don't like going somewhere and hearing a band sound like absolute shit, I don't whether either. it's a mix or whether it's the band itself. Right. Um, when you see a band that sounds like shit and it's just the band, it's like when you see a wreck, you know, and like it's wet outside and you see a wreck and you're like, oh man, that fucking sucks. <laughs> and you feel bad. You're like, I'm yep. glad that's not me, yep. but God, that sucks for them. It's just tough.
0: It is. And it's it, it's walking that line of, of not getting the reputation, in my case, of being an asshole. Or in some other musicians' cases, being douchebags. Right. Or in some other musicians' cases, being complete judgmental pricks. Right. It's trying to figure out that balance, I think, is what we all struggle with. But with what I was saying earlier about the politics in Louisville, music politics, fuckers... Uh, nobody has a fucking clue how do we even approach anything anymore.
1: Absolutely. You've got
0: this click over here, you've got this click over here, and you got that click over there. This guy will never play with that guy. That chick will never sing for that dude. And it's just fucking weird. And I don't get it
1: because there's so much fucking talent in this city. Do you want Do you want to know the secret behind the, 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 the varying clicks? If you know the secret... I know the secret. Please fucking tell because me. Because I've been on... I've been on both sides of these these click feelings. Ah. Not feelings, but experiences. Okay. I've found, personally, that the click mindset is strictly centered, literally, around time in. It's, it's about...
0: Now, do you mean time in your instrument or time in Louisville?
1: I mean tenure. How much time you've been on the job. And... How much time you've put in... How how many gigs have you put in? Right. How long have you sustained it? Right. The amount of respect and the amount of consideration you get from people is directly proportionate to the amount of time that you've been on your instrument and gigging in this town. So it is a Louisville thing because it, 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 it's an absolute. Because it's you haven't pa- It's an absolute. You haven't paid your dues mindset. No, no, no matter whether it's true or not. No, 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 it's I know. Perception-wise, oh, yeah, yeah. once I crossed a quote-unquote threshold, I had to have two record deals and a long stint in a very successful cover band. Right. And then another nine years before I was asked into, I say asked, before I was kind of walked into it. Right. And I looked up and I go, I'm in a band with that guy. Right. Oh, that is a guy who is not going to be in a band with the shit guy right. or the or the guy he dislikes, right? Or the guy who's not worthy. Right. Then I looked up one day and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm in a band with Peter Searcy. Right. Oh, and it was just a it was a, you know it was a minimal thing, but I thought, Okay, I'm in a band with that dude. Right. And the whole time I'm in a band with people that I'm like you guys are the shit. And I once I realized and I was like I am I have played with people now officially in this town that are bucketless people to me right in this town. And I'm like did I cross some kind of did I, I mean you <laughs> know it's like you're from the other side of the tracks. And that's kind of another kind of a mindset where I want to get into um I have a I have I have a real coming from the south end. We are we are born and bred to view yourself as behind the eight ball. Right. Um, you have a chip on your shoulder that you're not from the East End. Right. Your parents weren't a well to do. You didn't live in really nice houses. Right. You didn't have art and you didn't have culture. You had Dixie Highway. You had Taylor. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah. You had Taylor Boulevard. Yeah. And... um It's a a perpetual uh, inferiority complex. Right. There's a lot of fucking kick-ass, super people that I respect beyond belief who are South End people who I'm like, they are South End to the bone. Steve and Clark, South End. Highland Park. Tony McElwain, Uh Highland Park, Uh South End. (laughs) uh, Dirty Dave Johnson uh, from the Glass Pack, super fucking South End. Sean Garrison, King Horse, super fucking South End. <laughs> Scott McKenzie, super fucking South End. Um, so many other dudes that I'm leaving off who are South End guys. Right. We all grew up with people who were, quote unquote, looking at people who, and it's inferiority complex. It's pearls before swine. It's the less haves seeing the the people with the nice hair. The haves gear. and the have nots. Right. Yeah whether it's real or whether it's not that's how we that felt. was the perception yeah um and we li- and that pushes a lot of people it still pushes me today right i live back in the house that i grew up in my mother's house after she passed i i took over the house so right. it's like i'm back i'm a south ender and all of a sudden i'm like okay i got some i got some a little bit of piss and vinegar in, in me again right so,
0: no, I, I get it, and I think for a long time I equated it with for me, I equated it with I'm not from here, it might be that, and I equated it with somehow or another, it got the whole thing th- <clears throat> that I was the music school kid. <laughs> and it's I, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. I didn't go to fucking music school, until I was 29 years old,
1: I had already toured. I paid more than my fucking fair share of business. And and also, if you said it once, you've said it a thousand times. Spinal Tap and then Puppet Show. (laughs) If I've told him once, I've told him a thousand times. Spinal Tap, (laughs) then Puppet Show. I almost stopped you, but I didn't want to interrupt your thought. I don't care. That was fine. You've already lost one or two thoughts already tonight.
0: I have. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's it's just weird. I have too much on my brain. As usual. Too much on my plate. Um, but I, I think that has a lot to do with it. But fast forward, in four months, I will have been here 12 wow. years.
1: It's about not, time to go.
0: Not, I, <laughs> you laugh. I've said that before. Um, not, not counting all the shit I did before I got here, but look at all the shit I've done in 12 years. And this, I freely admit, kind of makes me ask, Holyo, if you don't respect me by now... You can get fucked. Right. I don't have to prove anything else. You know what I mean? But why do, but why do you feel the need to be respected? I don't feel the need to be respected. I, it fascinates me when I talk to certain people and they just look down on me and I'm like, what is your fucking deal? It still happens to me. I don't give a shit if you like me. I don't give a shit if you respect me. You can think I'm the biggest piece of shit on the planet. I have to know why though. I, I, I get that. That, that's what it is with me. You can tell, you can look me in the eye and tell me you want to kill me. Yeah. And I will go, okay, but why? Give me the fucking reason. It doesn't bother me that you want to kill me. Right. I have a long list of enemies. I have a long list of friends. I'm fine either way. If there's that curiosity in my brain that just, like, fucking takes over. And I want to know the
1: reason. It's like, all right, now tell me. Were you cheating on me after you are divorced? It's like, I got to know. Yeah. Did you fuck him? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You fucker. (laughs) I'm
2: going to kill
0: you. But that's what it is. It's not about, if you think I'm awesome, thank you. If you think I suck, thank you. I don't care. Especially other drummers. And I've said this on the show. I've said it to anybody that listens. I don't care what other drummers think about right. me. I genuinely don't. It's not a competition. Yeah, I'm better than a lot of guys. I'm just as good as a lot of guys, and there's shit tons of guys that are better than me. I don't fucking care. Another drummer is never going to hire me for another gig. Right. You, uh, there ain't no Dave Grohl's around here, so nobody's hiring me for, to be right. their drummer. To fill in because my buddy got double booked, that is not what I'm talking about. Right. It's a completely different story. But another drummer is not going to hire me to be their drummer. Right. That's why I don't give a shit what drummers think about me. People right. think that's a shitty statement. It's like, no, it, it's fucking true. Right. Bass player's not going to hire
1: you to play bass for him. That's true. This is just not going to happen. But I have hired a bass player to play bass for me. Then you're an anomaly. Is that the right word? I will not say hired, but I'm like, hey, will you play bass in the band? Absolutely. Okay, let's do it then. What did you do? I'm doing. It's kind of what I'm doing now.
0: Uh, gotcha, 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 gotcha.
1: You know, I'm like I just I want somebody who I know, and I want I know somebody who not, wants to know where the notes are, Right. and I know you know somebody who can hit the one. Just <laughs> I just need you to be the bass player. You know, that's all I need. <laughs> right. And I know you, and I trust you, and I know you're not going to f- fuck everything up. Why well, are you playing guitar then? I'm, but I'm 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 switching, and that's the thing about it is it's kind of a multi instrumentalist kind of thing. It's gotcha. a. For this song, I'm playing bass. For this song, I'm playing the guitars. For this song, I'm playing acoustic guitar. For this song, I'm playing a twelve-string electric guitar. You know what I mean? It's it's whatever I need to do for whatever song, whatever right. I, whatever I feel, whatever I feel in that song is something that I need to handle, right? Because it's important or it it's a cornerstone in the in the in the song for me, right? That. I can't do without, and I have to be responsible for it. I got you. That makes sense. If it's a song with 12-string 12, 12 electric guitar, that's the song I've got to play 12-string electric guitar on. Right. No, because I know exactly what I want.
0: That makes sense. Um, okay, so you're you're an exception to the rule then. Right. As a general whole. No, but it's, <laughs> it's true. It, it, but that's the way I've always looked at it. It's, I don't. It's true. I'm not in this, and I've never been in this for a competition. Right. I know guys I can wipe the floor with. I know guys I can barely keep up with, and I know guys that can wipe the floor with me. And what does it all mean at the end of the day? If we're all working, and we're all making money, and we can all hang out, and we can all trade ideas and shit, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't. I learned shit from some of my 15-year-old students. Right. Like, why didn't I ever fucking think of that? I've been doing this twice as long as you've been alive. (laughs) I've never thought about that. Right. It's not about that with me. It never has been. But I think, with me, I think it gets misconstrued. And then I get that label. Right. You know what I mean? Like you, were, like you just asked me, why do I want the respect? I don't. I just want to know why. Right. I don't give a shit if you hate me. Just tell me why. Right. Hey, I'm going to punch you in the mouth because I don't like what you said to my sister. Right. I deserve to be punched in the mouth.
1: I'm cool right. with that. If you punch me and then walk away, I'm like, why would you punch me? I just want to know why. Right. <laughs> I, I, I guess, I, I mean, I've a long time ago I turned off that that part of my uh, my give a fuck.
0: I get it because it kind of does make me slightly a walking contradiction because as a general whole, I don't give a fuck. But when I've, and I'm not going to say any names because I, there's only one person I've ever thrown under the bus hardcore on the show. And after that, I decided I wouldn't do it again because it was very fucking rude of me, even though he's a douchebag. Um, (laughs) But there's people I've tried to play with. Right. Because I knew there was a legitimate opening. Right. Like, hey, you tell me what you need me to do to quote prove myself that I can hang with you, which I can,
1: duh. And let's make some fucking music.
0: Phone never rang. I don't know.
1: I don't know if you know this, but you've got you, you've got a slight um, under confidence problem. You don't seem like you have any confidence in yourself at all. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. You do the daily affirmation. <laughs> 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 God damn it. I like myself. <laughs> I love me. Uh, no, I just you. You. I've worked. You, you got somebody's got to be. Somebody's f- got to. Somebody's got to be your 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 uh, your fan club. And if you're not, and if you're not, you are uh, number one supporter and number one. Um, Inspire. You know, you have to go. I'm the only person who's going to do this for me. Right. So I need, I need to do what I need to to survive.
0: Right. And, and I will not, um am pretty sure I've talked about it before, I will not deny that they're not <clears throat> in a um, teenage angsty way, but there's a slight chip on my shoulder. There always has been because I made a lot of wrong choices, for one. Most people know this. And two, when I first started playing, God damn it, did I suck. Like, I sucked harder than a fluffer. I was terrible.
1: That's all part of
0: it. Right. But the point is, at the time I was sucking and learning, I had people telling me that I sucked. So it was that fuel to go, oh, I've watched this motherfucker. You know what I mean? So I've always had that little slight chip. But that's where my confidence comes from because of shit like that. Right. Hey. I moved my life 14 times for music, and I have nothing. I'm going to go to music school now right. at fucking 29 years old.
1: For the record, he just pointed to his Amway certificate. He's, he's certified for selling Amway I, I in, like the, in, in um, Bolivia.
0: I like their toothpaste. <laughs> their toothpaste is very nice. It's a very nice toothpaste. Right. Mm-hmm. It yeah, makes yeah. him talk funny like that. It does. He does. It makes my lips pucker. Um, <laughs> but, but that's where a lot of my self-confidence comes from. I just, and I know I'm good. I'm not the best. I'm not even... I wouldn't even say I'm great. I'm good. I'm good at what I do. The other ass end of that is I'm also amazing at admitting I don't know what I don't know. Right. I will fucking tell you in a
1: heartbeat. I you, don't know that. It's a healthy... You've, you've got a healthy musician. you got to be your own... you got to be your own cheerleader, but you also... You're, you're... That's a healthy... I mean, everything you're doing is a healthy... I think so. I mean, it's a healthy... I feel like I'm your therapist now. I feel like I'm with my therapist... So, tell me, how do you feel, Stephen? How does think, that make you feel? It makes me feel squishy because I have to pee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, but it's, you've got, you, you've... I got it figured a, out, I think. You do, but at some point, you got to go, eh, diminishing returns. I, it doesn't fucking matter.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I, I agree a million percent. And, it, and most people that know me, and you know me well enough, you've heard me say it. I don't give a fuck. But there's that one... You give a fuck. There's that one iota of that chip it's that the pilot gives a life. fuck. It's yeah. the pilot life. Yeah. It's like, why? D- just tell me why. You can fucking tell me to go pounce off, but
1: just tell me why. You want to know who my pilot is? Yes. Or, or was? Somebody told me, <clears throat> somebody close to me, somebody um, who shouldn't have, but I'm thankful they did. Mm. Um, when I was growing up, I mean, you know, I, like I said, I was a big f- strapping football kid. I was like 240 pounds in high school and six feet tall. Damn. Um, somebody said to me who was, like I said, very close. I won't go any further than that. Fair enough. Um, said, why, why do you want to be? why do you want to be in a band? Why do you want to play rock music? Nobody wants to see a big, you know, like a fat guy on stage playing rock music. And I went and I just, I went cold and then I went
2: Hmm. <laughs> and all
1: of a sudden it was Batman with his parents dead in a fucking alley yep. you know what I mean I was yeah. like <sighs> it was like for the first time in my life I went okay
2: okay uh-huh.
1: and I just I mean that was in my head I went you're hurt and it hurt bad because yep. it was somebody in my family right so it's like who would say that besides right. a, kind of an asshole? Right. And I thought, O'Reilly would no, say, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was O'Reilly. He said, I'm not playing with you, you're a fat guy. I'm like, come on, Steve. Uh, and that was two weeks ago. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know what, whatever. Don't, so, don't, don't lie on my show. I'm sorry. So you're the greatest person. Don't lie on my show. Okay. <laughs> um, so, and I thought, Okay. And li- that, that, like was, that okay. was about six months after I really got my head around the base. Right. And I went, okay, all right. And so I spent a year, and I did nothing with, but play in my room. Yep. Played in my room, played in my room, yep. played in my room, played yep. in my room. Every day from the time I got home from that I wasn't hanging with my friends, I played from 4 o'clock until dinner. And then immediately after dinner, I went back and played till nine or ten o'clock. Yep. Put on the records, put on the cassettes, and just played. No matter what it was, I played start to finish, played it start to finish. Yep. And if I didn't know it, I'd learn it by the end of the song. Yep. I did the same thing. Every day I would I would put in something else and I would learn it backwards and forwards. By the end of the night, I'd learn two or three records. And I would I came to realize that number one skill is you if you're not doing it. You're, it doesn't matter what you're what you're taught. If you're not doing it, you're never going to learn it. No, hell no. If it's not in your hand or it's or you're not actively doing it at the stage when you are imprinting your talent mm-hmm. and your abilities and provoking these thoughts and these chemicals in your brain that are like, this is your thing. Yep. This is where this is learning. Yep. This is something that and you're driven that you have to do. Oh yeah and a year and 3 months after that um got was like hey I'm a, my friend has a band um they they're looking for a bass player and I'm like oh, okay cool cool so I borrowed my friends you remember gorilla amps mm-hmm. it was it was I a, actually do <laughs> it was a 20 watt bass amp and this is a full drum set and i remember carrying it there and my friend walked with me and i go in and i'm like holy shit this is a band so I'm auditioning for the band and it, you know once we start it's obvious that I don't have enough power right so I turn it up and it's all distorted everybody turns down a little bit and I'm playing and I look up and it's like 45 minutes later and my hands are just totally just cramped yep because I'm I'm so fucking nervous and
0: you're tense
1: it's my first time ever playing with people yep and then we played a few more songs and I was like, oh, this is fucking cake. Okay. This is this is this is this is what I this is yeah. Yep. And Yeah, it because was,
0: sometimes there's no words. It's just yeah. It's like, yeah, this is, it.
1: this is this is this is the thing. Yep. For me, it it wasn't girls, it wasn't drugs and booze, it wasn't um it was it was that. It was oh, yeah. that feeling. Oh
2: yeah.
1: And a month after that, we played a party, you know, like after after like a football game kind of party. Right. We played a mixer at D. Sales High School in the gym a month later. You said mixer. It. You know, and it's just like... Only us old dudes know what right. fucking mixers are. Yeah. I mean, it's like my first <laughs> gig was a month and a, a week after I joined the band. And the drummer for that band, who was the guy who hired me, was Billy Masterson. Nice. He was going to D de- sales, and he, Billy's two years younger than me, I think, year and a year or two younger than me. But Billy had already been playing for f- fucking per- playing with people for years, and that was the beginning of a great friendship with Billy. That I've known Billy since since then, right. since 1986. Damn. And we played on and off for the past 33 30 years, thirty two well, years.
0: Well, did you were you able to shove it in that person's face?
1: No, 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 that, 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 that was, that was a long game. I played the long game. I mean, this was, this was, everything I did was, it's like when you, like you're climbing a wall and you got these not, you know, you're putting these plugs in and you're pulling up Mm -hmm. every, every step I take or every different thing I would do was just another notch up. And then it got to the point to where, um, you know, I played in a million bands, right? Not a million, but a handful. But I would stay with them for two or three years. So it was never like one band every every six months. Right. When it came to 2001 and I joined Outspoken, and then <laughs> a week after I joined the band, because the bass player quit, and they were like, we're going to New York to showcase for Elektra and Warner Brothers and um, Atlantic and Lava and Lava Atlantic. And they're like, okay, we need a bass player. And I'm like, okay. So I went and auditioned, and I knew all the material. Um, and then a week later, we drove to New York City and played for all the those labels. Right. Played a couple of showcases and came home and it was like, i was just in a band. I've been in a band for two weeks, and we've already been to New York and played three showcases or whatever, <laughs> two showcases. Right. And then Derby Eve got a call. Hey, Atlantic wants to do the deal. So we start Working on the contract as of now. Damn. And it's like... I didn't even know that. It's like... Oh, three, three, four, three and a half months ago, I was going through a divorce that was tearing me apart. And then all of a sudden, it was like... All of a sudden, my life was literally yep. a 180. It's like, what happened? All of a sudden, I feel like I've been given another fucking chance. Came up, go to record the record. We went. We recorded at C- in uh, London Bridge in Seattle, where they did the first Temple, te- the Temple of the Dog record. Right. Uh, Pearl Jam ten, the first Blind Melon record. Um, couple Soundgarden records, Allison Chains stuff. And um, we're recording, and I'm thinking, and it's. I mean, like I call it a pilot light. It's the thing down deep in me that I never, never allowed me to go. I'm gonna I'm gonna give up or I'm going to I'm gonna take a loss right absolutely not right so I could record the record I say we record the record it wasn't just me
0: no and it's I, all about you right now it is um as it should be <clears throat> so you, know what we, I, you know what I haven't told you yet what's
1: that you're my hero, oh. you're my <laughs> friend, you're my hero. am i the wind beneath your wings no but Oh my God, you're so cute. What's that? Oh, I am. Thank you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm a handsome son of a bitch when I want to be, man. Not yep. right now. Um, but I remember, all of a sudden, we get artwork and we got to submit our personal thanks for the record. Yep. And we go to New York and we do a, a you know photo shoots. And I'm like, okay, it's just, it's just, it's, it's an, it's not gonna happen. It's just an, it's, this is not. Right. Associated. You know, in my mind, I'm like, you know, this is not a record. This right. is not for the record. This artwork is, something's going to, you know, go wrong. Obviously, everything went wrong after the fucking record came out. Uh, right. and Well, and directly before with the band members. Uh, one. <laughs> uh, but I thought to myself, only when the album is released, then you start, then we start getting reports. The first single is already charting on R&R online, the, you know, the record and retail charts for what's, what's right. playing and where.
2: Right.
1: You go, oh, 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 they're playing oh, it in, they're playing right. it in Tempe or they're playing it in Denver. Oh, they're playing it in Baltimore. Oh, okay. Then you, all of a sudden you look and outspoken is number two on these R&R play charts. And I'm right. like, and I look below us and it's uh stone sour and it's uh creed and it's all these bands, and I'm like, we're getting more spins than the Red Hot Chili Peppers in in, in a lot of these markets. Right. And i was like, wow, that's okay. And I know it wasn't just me blowing smoke because my my mother printed them all out and <laughs> saved them. You know what I mean? <laughs> nice. And, I, and, you know, I went through them, you know, a couple of years, about a year ago after she passed, and I was just looking at them going, wow, this actually happened. But then... Until I got that record in my hand, it was like it was the fucking ultimate that was the official end. I fucking pulled the sword from the stone. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I went and I, I I exacted my revenge and what I did is I went from a 15-year-old kid who kind of got blindsided by someone I loved. Right, with a really fucking snide sideways comment. Yep. And I, instead of being bitter, and 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 taking it out on that person, or really letting it eat at me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you used it for fuel. I used it for fuel. Yeah. And I never stopped looking. And you know, the outspoken thing was serendipity. It was total. It was a total serendipitous. I slipped and fell into. I say a pot of gold, right? And that's kind of what it felt like, right? Uh, <laughs> Metaphoric or gold? It's not. I no um, idea. <laughs> what's the? Yeah, it's I it's definitely not about. a pot of of of, of money gold, yeah. um, uh, yeah. or monetary gold. But and at that point, I just thought, you know, all right, this is the end of that. You've been there. You've been to the mountain. You proved it. Right. Let's call it done. And it felt like like I said, it was like the long game. I played it like the long con, you know, yep. it's like yep. I was, I was with her for six years and I realized she'd been stealing money from me. You know what I mean? <laughs> she long conned me yeah. or whatever. I played the long payback. Yep. Living well is the best revenge. Succeeding is the best revenge. I agree. Proving someone wrong is the best fucking revenge. And I had nothing oh, to, sure. I had nothing to hide behind. Because I hadn't changed over those years. In fact, I'd gained weight. I hadn't changed. But one thing that I couldn't be denied on was I was fucking good. Yep. And, not, and even better than being fucking good, I was a great team player. I was great for morale in a band. I was a brother. Granted, I was a piece of shit a lot of times to people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but within, within the band... I was a great teammate. Right. I was a great position player. And I was always there. I never the ball never went through my legs. I never bobbled it. I was always threw it on a on a fucking lightning rod. Pow. Right. Metaphorically speaking for the for the band. I was always there. I was always on time. I always hit my marks. And I was um I succeeded because I was good.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And that's that's something that no amount of, of, uh, of, of what I call all your physical appearance or your image, can ever negate that. Right. Period. So I thought if you're good, nobody can say you're not good enough. They have to come out. I want to force them to say it.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. No, I, <laughs> I trust me, dude. I get it. I mean, yeah. I and I'm not going to go into a long history about me, but most people have listened to my show enough, but. I, there's a lot of that in me too. I never, I've I've never got to that point where I got the deal, but I was so close so many fucking times right. that at least that was enough vindication for me to go, I know what the fuck I'm doing and I know right. I can do it. All the deals fell through for whatever reason. As
1: they tend to do nine out of 10 times yeah, or more than that.
0: Absolutely. So I, I don't, I mean, I was the one I was bitter about for the longest time was the whole Crossfade deal because I turned them down. Right. And I shouldn't have. But hindsight's 2020 is telling me I shouldn't have. At the time, it was like, yeah, okay, you're getting signed, so are we fuckers. You know what I mean? What do you right. do in that situation? Right. Obviously, if I had a crystal ball, of, hey, your singer's going to quit in a month and you're going to be fucked, I'd have been like, fuck y'all, I'm going with Sugar Daddy, who's going to become CrossFit. I didn't know any of that shit. But at
1: the same time, it, it wouldn't have paid off in the long run. It, it would have been pissing in the wind. Oh, absolutely. So I, I get exactly what you're talking about. But here's what we're gonna do. Yeah,
0: because I want to talk about ugly really quick. All right. But because I have no couth, sometimes I gotta piss. Okay. I'm gonna hit pause.
1: Oh, let's. T- all right, ready? Let's count it down.
0: A three, a, a two, a one. A one. Psst. Okay, we're back. We're live. Well, we're not live, but we are back. Uh, I really had to pee. I'm not. I can't lie about it. I did. Yeah. And. We were going to talk about Ugly, because that yep. is where I met you. Correct. I met Kevin shortly after I moved here. Um, he came into my room at Mom's, and he said... At home? No, at hey Mom's Ch- Music. Hey,
1: O'Reilly, it's <laughs> Kevin. Hey. I don't know if you mind me being in your bedroom or not. <laughs> but 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 can you, can you give me and my gear a ride to the gig? <laughs> can you give me a ride...
0: I love that fucker. I do too. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyway, I was playing something. I don't know what I was doing. And he walked in my room and he goes, you're really fucking good. You should come down to my room and talk to me. And then he shut the door. That's how I met Kevin McGuire. Right. Um. But he I, he was in Ugly and I didn't know anything because right. I was in Heaven Hill World when I moved up here. They kind of gotcha. kept me insulated for a minute. Um. So I got to know him, obviously, and then he introduced me to the rest of you guys. And that's where you and I met. Right. And then shortly after is when I... When did I meet you? I think the first time... Was it a rehearsal? That's what I was going to say. The first time you actually met me was that rehearsal because... Okay. We were going to do that show that never happened, which saddened me. Still saddens me to this day, but whatever. (laughs) But
1: that's... Okay, that's how it was then.
0: Yeah. That's when you and I first met. All right. Because I knew that you knew of me. Um, because of Kevin, Kevin, I'm sure Kevin told you, and you said at the beginning of the show that he, you, he mentioned me before. Right. Um, and I knew of you through listening to the ugly record and all that shit, which is a great fucking record. Yeah. It was it's it's right behind a, you. You can't see it, but it's in that
1: very proud of that.
0: It's a fucking great record. I have two copies actually.
1: I've got, <laughs> I buy every copy that I come across on Amazon or eBay. Do you really? Absolutely. In, in the pain, buy it now. <laughs> Just because I know people who go, Hey, I can't find this. And oh, I, when I come you. across one, I found some that were like three hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. No shit. No shit. But I don't know what that means. Anyway. <laughs> but I, I, I buy the ones that are five or th- five or three or ten dollars or whatever. Right.
0: No, I I have two copies. Um, I inherited one because Stacy had a copy when gotcha. we when we met. Because m- most people know, and I'm pretty sure you know that, in a roundabout way, seventy five percent of the reason Stacy and I are together is Kevin's fault. Um, okay, I I don't
1: know any history. We'll talk about it later. We won't right. bore the people with
0: that. Um, but that's how close Kevin and I were. That's how close Kevin and Stacy were. Right. I wanted to hook up with Stacy, and Kevin and Stacy said no. So I had to beg both of them. Right. And then a decade later, Stacy and I are still together. So, but that's when you and I first met was in that rehearsal when we right. were going to go do that show. And you, I think you messaged me after Scott Clark's episode, and you, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were like, hey, you got a couple of those details about that trip wrong. So do tell. Because I think I got the venue wrong.
1: Well, we were going to, we were going to, we were leaving out of Louisville Mm -hmm. to go, uh, Jay Ballinger, my friend, uh, our friend, had uh, booked us a gig at the Orbit Room. The Orbit Room. In Grand Rapids, I think.
0: Yep. That's, you're right.
1: Um, As soon as you said it, I remembered it. Opening for saliva, yep. I think, um, and we were just doing a, a you know, a, I call them a deadhead, just, just straight ahead one way, no other destination. Yep. It was like a seven and seven hour, seven and a half hour drive. Yep. Um, and I don't remember even, I don't even remember how I got that gig. It's because it's because Kevin. Kevin came to us and was like, O'Reilly is, because we we had we had just kind of fizzled with Donny. That's uh, the part I meant. I, let me rephrase that. I knew I got it because of Kevin.
0: I don't... I meant... I don't know what happened to Donnie.
1: It, yeah, it's, it's... I couldn't it, remember it, if he it, quit or if it, it was it, just it, mm. it, was, it was a mixture of... It was kind of a... We're just all going to act like... We're just going to ignore it till it goes away. Okay, I got you. And it was kind of like a war of attrition. Right. It's like, I don't give a fuck, and you all don't give a fuck, and, or you don't give a fuck, and we don't give a fuck, and none of us give a fuck and it's like, okay, let's just kind of, but there were, there were a lot of weird dynamics on the band. Right. And I, I, to be honest, I had, uh, I'd already quit the band at that point, at one point. Right. Um, for, for issues and, you know, Kevin was like, don't, just, don't quit on me. Don't quit. Right. Don't quit on me. But, you know, I, I had invi- I'd invited them to my apartment in Highlands on Bonnie Castle, he and Donnie and I was like, I'm done, you know, and here's why. Right. And I just wanted to tell you face-to-face. I wasn't going to text you, but here's why. Right. And they're like, you know, I totally understand. I'm like, I love you guys, but please feel free to do your thing. I'm not going to be offended if you go and find somebody else to play the bass. I think you need to, but I'm I'm, I'm done. Right. Anyway, things changed. There was a lot of weird dynamics in the band.
0: Right. It was... um, And full disclosure um, about my show I, I'm not I don't give a fuck about Dirt you want to talk about right, it cool no, if that, you that's, don't that, that's cool too that's not what I'm looking for
1: and I'm not I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to but with any band there are dynamics with oh any, always with, always within any band who have four really fucking strong personalities like mm-hmm. Donnie Highland Kevin McCreary Joe Tubal and myself
0: you guys had five.
1: Oh yeah Joe counts
0: as two yeah <laughs> And I love Joe. I do. Oh, absolutely. But he counts as too. He's a super dynamic personality. He
1: absolutely. Yeah. Joe is I can't. He's the most dynamic is a word. He is one of the most most creative people I've ever been in a room with. Right. He when he when he is in music making mode, he is an absolute he has an engine firing on on all cylinders he he hears it his suggestions he's he's temperamental he is he he because he knows if he insists on something if i'm watching him and he's getting more pissed off it's because he knows that his thing is the way right and he knows that his idea is the way and he just wants to be able to physically get it out and say it or demonstrate it or Here's what I'm doing. And he get up and he'll dance it. Or he will, you know, I want this and I, w- I want a little bit of, um, you know, I want a little bit of uh, uh, Chauncey Billups. You know what I mean? On, on the on the bass. Or, you know, I, I want a little bit of, you know, give me a little, uh, 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 give me a little uh, David Lee Roth, but on the drums. Right. You know? And everybody's like, got it. We all spoke exactly the same language. Right. Or we understood Joe. Right. We understood his language. Um, but it was intoxicating. I'd never been in a band with a guy like that, right. He was 100 percent the fuel, the engine, the starter, the exhaust,, oh, yeah. the wheels, the drivetrain <clears throat> in so many ways with that band.
0: Well, I remember, and we'll get back to, yeah, how I wound up with the gig in a second, but I remember because I didn't meet you that night, but you guys did a show at Freedom Hall.
1: I think it was Louisville Freedom Gardens.
0: Hall. Louisville Gardens. Thank you. Um, and I remember watching the show, and that was the first time I saw you guys. Right. And Kevin came up to me afterward, and he said, "What do you think?" And I went, "That dude is a goddamn certified fucking star. Absolutely. Period. There's no discussion. There's no other way to put it. End of story. And that that's all I remember about that show. Was Period. that." It was just
2: oh god,
1: when I, when I met him, Outspoken was on tour, and we played in Cleveland at the Agora, Cleveland, uh, the Agora, at the Agora Ballroom. The, <laughs> <laughs> the but ballroom the, in Cleveland, but the Agora is world famous. I right. grew up seeing the, the the neon sign behind bands and magazines, you know, and there we were playing the fucking Agora Ballroom. It's actually for the second time we played there once before the album came out. Nice. But we were on a label, and we were opening for his band, Bridge, a Detroit band. Right. An all-original band. We were opening with a a major label record out, opening for a non-major label act. Right. And it was because they had a gigantic following, even in Cleveland. Right. Being from Detroit. They would party bus people down to the gigs. They would literally carry the people with them to the gigs. Literally, thanks. <laughs> and you know, it's a smart fucking way to do it. It was, it was, and they would always get these party buses for next to nothing, tip the shit out of, I guess, the drivers. Everybody would get jacked up, coked up, drunk, high, and go and fucking rock. And then they'd go take the two-hour trip back to Cleveland and or back to Detroit, and it was like just a night out. Yeah, I started to drink when we got there, and I met him. And I realized he was he was flighty. He was different. He, he was really flighty. But this is before <laughs> I knew he was the dude in, in the band and the singer in the band. Right. Our crew puts up our shit, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and we do a sound, you know. And then there's another band in front of us. So we, we drink. We're drinking like Southern Comfort. I was on a Southern Comfort kick for some reason back then. And it, we're in our dressing room just drinking Southern Comfort. And he's coming and going. And I keep seeing him. And I'm just like, okay, he's kind of a, not a pain in the ass, but he's, he's nosing up to the, to the label band. Right. And we had a bus at that point. And I'm like, okay. So he kept talking about going to the bus, going to the bus, going to the bus. So we play and then they come on. And my description of Joe was, it was like Beetlejuice meets David Lee Roth. And I was like. I'll agree with that. That, like Beetlejuice in physicality, the crazy white hair at yep. that point he had, yep. and the and the, these sudden, abrupt mannerisms that he had. Yep. But he had this... Uh, he was an arena rock. He was like a prototype. It was like seeing a Jim Morrison in the whiskey. It was like... I was like, I can't believe I just saw that dude. He is... The rest of these dudes, good band. Yeah. He is in a different class. Oh, absolutely. It was astonishing couldn't believe it so all of a sudden i mean we were already dealing with problems and outspoken with with our the member that we were having problems with so everybody's like kevin's like that dude and i'm like holy shit kevin's like i exchanged numbers with him um and i got his number too so later after they played everybody was super drunk we going outside went outside and he was like let's go to the bus let's go to the bus and our the tour bus driver was like I'm not, he was like, our, our sound man, Gus, do you know Gus? Cock? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love Gus. I
1: love Gus. And he was our sound man. I love Gus. And they're like, he was on the bus trying to, and he wasn't doing anything like with a woman, but he was trying to, to, he was trying to acquire, Um, he was trying to acquire a good time. We were a rock and roll band out on the road. Right. And, and you know, and I'm not throwing Gus under the bus because Gus is a rock and roll fucking pioneer. Oh, absolutely. He is. And he's like Johnny Appleseed with rock and roll. <laughs> he is. He's like the guy who the guys who dug the Panama Canal. He is the dude. Oh yeah, been there, done that. Blah blah blah. Oh yeah, he's awesome. I love guys. But every night we were, everybody was looking to get fucked up. You got some pills? Sure. You got some? You got some blow? I'll take all of that. You got some? Uh, whatever. Right. Didn't matter. We were just being. We didn't have jobs. We were on a major label, and we just wanted to party, and Play somebody else was going to cart us around while we did it and set up our shit. Yep. Um, but our tour manager, who was at the same time spending all of our money getting cash advances on our American Express card, uh, buying large amounts of narcotics with it, stealing from the band, decided that this is a no drug free tour. You know, at the beginning. The man whose, whose job is to keep uh, certain members of the band clean, and then he was stealing from the band and buying <laughs> his own narcotics, <laughs> decided that these people with Gus had to go. This one person that was with Gus had to go. Right. Gus was not causing a scene. Gus was not being a, a nuisance. He wasn't being out of order. He was just... He was Gus. He was just Gus. And so they threw him off the bus. There's
0: about 50 people that listen to the show that'll get that.
1: Right. The rest of you. He, Joe was the guy with Gus. Us. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe came off the off the bus, and then Joe and I, we're drunk, and we, he starts saying something about the band or the the band or and he starts making some innuendo about the band or, kind of ragging us a little bit and I'm like, you know, I remember thinking, well, what what the fuck do you mean, you know? Right. He was like, "Oh, and he, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of being petty," and I'm like, "I don't know who the fuck you're talking to, but if you're talking to me, then, you know, <laughs> you know, don't beat around the bush. Tell me what you want to say. Right. You know, I don't give a fuck." And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, next thing I know, we are in fisticuffs. We are on the ground. You and, and Joe? Joe. Joe and I are fighting in a gravel. Uh, parking like lot next to the Agora out like 30 feet outside the, the side door where you load in equipment and we are just locked up and he's got his head kind of down and he's wearing my ribs out I mean I'm like oh <laughs> and I'm undercutting like you know like here and I'm I'm trying to bash his head you know like with, with <laughs> right. like that and it went on for it seemed like forever but it's probably only about 15 or 20 seconds right and we stopped, and I looked, and I don't know if anyone is around, but I remember I he heard him laughing, and then I started to laugh. And then he got up, and he helped me up. And we were like, it was hilarious. All of a sudden, we were like, what's going on? <laughs> but it it, it kind of goes to prove our personalities. We're not going to take any shit. We're not going to, but we don't, I don't want to fight but I'll fight you if I have to. If right. you want to fight. If right. that's the only way you're going to do it. Right. But.
0: I ain't fighting you. I am
1: I don't want to fight. I ain't fighting. I'll run. Hmm. I'll throw my wallet at you and run. I don't like to fight. Oh. But. I'm little. A friend of mine's dad. <laughs> a friend of mine told me that his dad's saying was. If you want to fight. I don't want to fight. But if you want to fight. We'll fight. But I say when we stop. <laughs> that is an ominous fucking statement. Yeah. It is. If you say it calmly enough. You say but I say it when we stop. That's like, ooh, okay, ooh, okay. I don't want to fight. you. I, I'm good. Right. But <laughs> Again, that, that's that, my wallet. <laughs> that was that that was kind of the the die was set for the dynamic in the band. Right. And so when everything went haywire, he was the fucking first call. Right. And then Kevin and, and Joe started coordinating songs back and forth, back and forth, back and yeah. forth. Kevin lived went back to live in wherever, Michigan, Saginaw. Mount Pleasant, and they would kind of trek back and forth to each other and write songs. Then right. Donnie and, and I got brought in, and that was it.
0: Bam, that's cool. I never knew. I never knew the whole story. I knew part of it because Kevin had told me. Well, I met him on tour when I was in another band, and yeah. then when that band broke up, I called him. That, you know Kevin. Yeah, that's all the details he gave me. And
1: Fucker. that's really the, that's really how it goes. <laughs> yeah, but there there was a dynamic that kind of formed the band, and that was really it.
0: Right. So, all right. So you and Donnie. Were, or Donnie was kind of fizzling out and nobody knew what we were going to do. Right. What you were going to do. And right. then you got that show book. Oh, yeah. And we, then here I come.
1: Yeah, we were going to play the Orbit Room in, in Grand Rapids. And so we are in a van uh, driving north on Interstate 65. And I think we were past... We were Indian, like three we were, and a half hours in. We were like... We were past Indianapolis and we were on whatever road because we didn't keep going obviously straight up 65. We did the... Uh, I don't know. It's a ninety something, or uh, that goes up to like Saginaw, uh, right? Uh, Lansing area. So we were on that road, and then all of a sudden, it's snowing the whole time. It's kind of, and then once we get past uh, or up around uh, Indianapolis, it got worse, and then it kept getting worse.
0: And then it turned into an ice storm. And then
1: it turned into an ice storm on top of two or three inches of snow. Yeah. And we're like, okay, this is dicey, and then we were ended up, we were going about 15 miles an hour mm. and then it was like, Oh, dicey. And then we came up over a hill and then I was driving and I remember, I couldn't remember who was driving. I was driving. I drove both ways. Um, just because I would, in that situation, I just, for my sanity, I have to be the one responsible. Right. Not because I just have to know no, that, I get it. that I'm safe and I'm going to do the best to keep me safe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's my control. It was my control. Right. Um, I'm a control freak when it comes to driving. I get it. It's like, I'm going to look after myself. And yeah. if I'm safe, you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> so we came up over a hill and I looked and there were two semis jackknifed in the road, totally blocking the northbound lanes. Yep.
0: I remember that now. Yep. Yep, 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 yep.
1: And I think one was on its side. And you could see them up, I don't know, a couple thousand feet or whatever. And just so happens there was a, an exit. And we weren't that far away from it happening. It was probably within a minute or two that it happened. Yeah. Because um, so the cops just, and shit weren't even there yet. No. Yeah, I we, remember We now. just moseyed. starting to come we, back to me. We yeah. moseyed off the exit and kind of like, what did we do? And because it was it was further than the on-ramp coming back on. Yeah. So it blocked. We couldn't just get off and get back on because it was past that. Yep. Um so we're like, what do we do? Okay. We go to Cracker Barrel and we yep. ate breakfast. I remember that. Or lunch or whatever it was. It was definitely one o'clock or two o'clock. Or yeah. Morning. But
0: I ate breakfast food. I, right. I don't know why I remember that. Oh yeah, I do. Cause it was Cracker Barrel. Duh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and yeah. I don't eat anything else there. <laughs> I don't either. Um, so, and so we like, okay, what do we do? So we just thought about it and we're like, we're in an ice storm now. It's turned into like a snowstorm. Then it was an ice storm and. Didn't Joe call the venue or somebody called the venue? Called the venue and then he called Jay and said, look, here's the deal. We're not going to be able to go on because obviously this is not, we're not going to be able to get there. Right.
0: Uh, And I I seem to remember whoever he called said the venue wasn't even open that night. Anyway, they canceled the whole thing. Okay.
1: They probably did. My memory blows. Maybe. But
0: that seems to stick out in my head.
1: Because it got worse as it got north. Yeah, because I remember Joe... Clobbered.
0: Yeah, I remember Joe didn't want to make the call because he did it while we were at Cracker Barrel. But after he came back and sat down, he was like, dude, it's all cool. Yeah, I remember he wasn't nervous anymore. Right. He And he wasn't, oh man, there's so, he was just, that's why I think it, they canceled the show anyway because right. it was so shitty.
1: And then we drove home. And then we drove home. And we never played that gig with you. Nope. It was like the gig that never happened. It's like we all loaded up. We were all in the gig. gig well, how many, man?
0: We had like what, two rehearsals? Probably. We nailed it. I was so excited. But we, I don't know what you guys thought, but I was excited. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But I we were saw. never much of a rehearsal band. We rehearsed when we had a gig, and we rehearsed when we were uh, working out new songs. Right. We didn't just rehearse to rehearse. Well, no, no, no. I, I know that. I, I mean, but I'm saying two, two rehearsals is to work in a new drummer for us was like oh plenty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we did. Right. And we had another drummer after you, Chris Castro, and it was the same way. Chris came down, we played a gig. Uh, I'm sorry, we didn't play a gig. We rehearsed, I think, twice uh, on a Friday and a, a Saturday in a friend of ours' basement. And then we played a gig with him. We yeah. went to Michigan the next weekend, and you know, he, you know, he lived in Michigan. So we played a gig with him the next weekend.
0: Yeah, I remember, I remember that because Kevin asked, he said, uh, I don't remember how long ago or how long between, my gig that never happened in that, but he, I remember him asking me. He was like, "Hey, we got this other gig," and I pulled out my calendar. I went, "Fucking booked." Yeah, that's why I couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, it was later on that spring, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think it was this that spring because yeah, it was. That that one's always been a, a. It's not a regret or any of that shit. It's that disappointment, right? It did- I so wanted to get on stage with you three. Ugh, the rehearsals were awesome enough for me, and the record was good. And right, I liked all the guys. Obviously, you know how I feel about Kevin. Um, I didn't know you and Joe that well, but I just remember going, fuck, never get to do that. Right. I love, so disappointed in that for like a long time. I used to give Kevin shit about it. I'm like, Hey, you should put ugly together so I can have my fucking gig. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm
2: not doing I'm that. Not new fucking now. laugh.
0: Yeah. I can't do his laugh, but it's for me. It's not for y'all. It's for me. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's cool though, that you guys got to do all that kind of fucking cool shit and you got to do it with Kevin. You got to do it with your buddies.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I never got to. I'm jealous. It's true. I'm but, so jelly. You know, <laughs> just, a, just a quick Kevin thing. Kevin came into, came into my life and came into our lives through Outspoken. He moved into it with Donnie. Um, when he and David moved back from Nashville, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin was down there working at Epiphone. David was down there trying to, you know, get songs published or get a deal or something. And then they moved back to Louisville. And... Um... I met him at dinner at Donnie's house that you know I wasn't in the band and hey, you gotta meet this dude. He is super he's exactly like us. He's got great taste in music. He likes the same shit we like. Um he's a good he's just a good dude right. who's more talented than anybody in our circle. Right. Um, you gotta meet him. Cool. Met him, I'm like, hell of a dude. And it was that was it. Yeah. And it's just you know that was 2001, and it, you know 16 years went by in a fucking blink of an eye. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I met him. I uh, I always forget. I
1: have
0: to think. I moved here February of 2007. Okay. Because my first gig up here, I didn't live here yet. I drove up here three, maybe four times for rehearsals with Heaven Hill because I got hired for. I got they hired me. Obviously, I had to accept it, but we came to an agreement when I was still in Atlanta. And then I came up here three or four times for rehearsals, and our my first show with Heaven Hill was New Year's Eve at Phoenix Hill. Right. It was stupid fucking packed. Right. Um, and then my second show was in February. We did, uh, we opened four, uh, In the Clear CD release party, I think. Okay. I think it was In the Clear. I don't remember. It was somebody's CD release party. Um I moved here like a week after that. I came up, played the gig, left my shit here, went back down to Atlanta, got my other shit that I owned, and moved back okay. up here. Found an apartment and all that bullshit. Um, and I started teaching at Moms probably that spring of 07. Gotcha. And I met him maybe three weeks, four weeks after I was at Moms. Right. And we were fast friends ever since. And Because that, that's how I got the avant-garde dog shit was... Through him playing with me, through the ugly rehearsals right. going, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. not only is he a, a decent player, he I can actually play with him. Yeah, him pronouns fucker Kevin saying that about me, right? So that's how I got the avant garde stuff because yeah, you can. This is right up your fucking alley, absolutely. Dude. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. What was it like playing in a band with Chuck Willis?
1: It had its moments. Um. Chuck? I'm, not, I'm not I don't know anything about the relationship or or Heaven oh. Hills dynamics other than the name, and that you all were in the band together
0: no, 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 I, I was the only thing I was gonna say is there was bad blood. a lot of people know there was bad blood. there's not now Chuck's been on the show. he's sat exactly oh right where he on was right on yeah
1: I, I, we're all cool now. um and why was there bad blood? You don't have to tell me <coughs> was it was it musically or was it personal
2: both okay
1: I, as it I, as it tends to be with bands, yeah, people people bands
0: I'll give you the the short version because I've talked about it on the show before um. I got to the point where I refused to rehearse three days a week, two to three days a week to, right. to keep doing the somewhat civil record. Um, we knew that record backwards and forwards. In fact, part of that record, I recorded without them. I mean, they were physically there, but I just was like, hey, I'm just going to fucking do the drum tracks. Right. I did three live takes of everything. Record came out great. I'm pretty sure you've heard it. That record's phenomenal. I still stand behind that record, Right. Um, especially production value. My, my buddy Ryan Williams in Atlanta killed it. But anyway, I. It, it got to the point where I was like, I don't need to fucking rehearse these songs two or three days a week. Let's either write some other shit or do something else because you're now I'm you're taking money from me because I had been up here long enough, i was starting to get calls. Right. And I'm hey, can you come do this gig? I'll pay you X, my, Z. Was there just one record? Uh, with me on it, yes. There was okay. a couple singles before that and then they did a record after I was quote fired. Okay. Um and then everything came to a head. There was a show that was booked that I couldn't do because I was contracted to play a wedding. Right. And I said, well, just move the show the weekend before, weekend after. And I'm, when I say move the show, it was two months out, right. three months out. Uh, and that created this big, giant fucking stink. And everybody kind of plotted and fired me. Replaced me with Ivan Arnold, which was a great choice. Um, and I don't mean that sarcastically. I love Ivan. Um, but then well, I they, haven't seen Ivan in at least ten years or I, more. I saw him two months ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. he's thinking about moving back up here where does he live uh, Alabama
1: oh right on yeah I didn't I, yeah I, uh, you know having said that I never he just popped back into my I'd been so long since I yeah. thought about him or saw him he was a really nice guy
0: super nice guy super fucking smart and a monster drummer absolutely um, so they didn't tell me that I was replaced they said well we don't know what we're gonna do and I went back to pick up right. my gear and Ivan's drums were in there and it just it just became this fucking shit storm um and they threw me under the bus in the Louisville music news and to anybody that listened, everything was my fault and I wouldn't do this and I wouldn't do that and the reality was the somewhat civil record wouldn't have come into existence without me right fucking period it's not me bragging that is a fact right um they fucked up I fucked up whatever it's all water over the under under the bridge but that's what happened it was just that weird. That. They didn't like certain things I was doing. I refused to practice every fucking day because I didn't need to do that shit, and I wasn't interested in it, especially after we recorded the record. Dude, I know these fucking songs. We've done it. Yeah.
1: Are we doing pre-production for a tour? Yeah. Or are we writing a new record? Exactly. Absolutely. I'll put put it towards writing a new record or pre-pro yeah. for a tour. Whatever we need to do, yeah. but I'm not going to...
0: No. And that that was the Rehearsal of Rehearsal is for it. fucking... That was the beginning of it, and then I, I, went, to, uh, I went to Memphis to record um, two or three tracks for this dude. Uh, I won't say his name, because he's pseudo-famous, and he's kind of a fucking douchebag, and treated me like garbage. Was but his it, first name Pete? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't work at Ardent? No. Okay. No. No. That's no.
1: the guy I've I'm, I'm, I'm worked with.
0: No. Uh-uh. Um, okay, cool. But it, it turned into this whole, I went to Memphis to audition for a band. And oh, I was like, okay. no, I didn't. I went to Memphis to do a studio job because that's what the fuck I do if I get the calls. Which was, I told you guys that. when So it, it was everything compounded. What they
1: loved about you, they
0: ended up hating about you at, yeah. the, at
1: the end. It's just like a, a relationship. Same
0: thing. Yeah. And so we all hated each other for a couple of years and then we got over it and everything's fine now. But to answer your question... At the time, and Chuck will admit this Chuck was Chuck was out of his mind most of the time. Chuck was on a lot of shit I get I under I get you. um but the one thing that Chuck always was when he put his little barefoot ass on stage, that fucker was always on. I'll never ever ever say any anything right. else even if I hated him right now, which I don't. I love you, Chuck. Right, he, he listens to the show. That's cool. Uh, what's up, Chuck? Yeah, what's up, Chuck? Uh, even if he, even if I hated his existence, when he stepped on stage, he was on every fucking night. Right on, and I somebody you could you could depend on. Yep, right on. Yep. Um, so it, I mean, it was it, there was a little bit of a learning curve because the whole and I've said this to, to Chuck and Chris on the show, they were super content with being big fish in a small pond, right, and trying to get out of here. And do bigger things, I think, is part of what caused the, the, a little bit of the stress and a little bit of the backlash that that came back Growing to me. Growing pains yeah. that happened within a band. Yeah, because, I mean, it, for a minute, we were pretty
1: fucking huge around here. Right. We did some cool shit. But, you know, Breckenridge, people, you know, always say, oh, Breckenridge was a big draw. And this is not against Bre- My best friend played drums for Breckenridge. Breckenridge kind of pulled, carted their own cr- crowd around. Right, they had they had a massive bunch of friends. Right, and they came to every gig. Right, it wasn't like they were reaching the masses. Right, now, I'm, I'm, and let me preface this by saying, outspoken never pulled a crowd any fucking where. <laughs> I'm not joking. Until until we played like gobblestock, mm-hmm. um, but we never had crowds. Period. So I'm not ditching them for that. No, no, no. They, I got they, you. they were like. But they had a built-in kind of Loyal an expanded fun. friend crowd. Yeah, and there would be 150 people they pulled to all the gigs, and a lot of I think a lot of those people moved on to Heaven Hill because they were a lot of close friends. Yeah, you know, you got was Teague was in Heaven Hill. Yeah,
0: it was it Teague was, and Chuck. Yeah, Teague yeah. and Chuck were in Breckenridge. Right, right, right. Then they got Chris Evans. Who right. Chris Evans was originally a bass player. Right, right. I remember, uh, yeah. In the constant. Yeah. And then he switched to guitar, and then they got Chris Kerr. Right. To, so they had two guitars. And then I, when I saw him, I saw him in Atlanta, and I was going through a bunch of bullshit with my ex-wife. I sold their drummer my DVD, and then I got a call to come join the band. Right. That's how it happened.
1: <laughs> you shouldn't have bought the DVD, man.
0: Oh, well, Jesse and I are fine now. Okay. We're, we're friends. It's pretty fucking funny. Uh, but that's how it happened. And then gotcha. when I came up here, like I, it, it, you immediately think you're getting sold a bill of goods because we've done this for so long. You're skeptical. You get jaded. And naturally you're naturally skeptical. Spe- skeptical.
1: Yeah. Show me, don't tell me.
0: Yeah. And, and of course, they, they, they told me a lot of shit. And then when I came up here, I went, oh, they're actually fucking legit. Right. They really do have this. Okay. I'm in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was that. And then, We just kept going up and up, and then when we when we did the record and the we sold out headliners for the CD release show, and it was awesome. And I was like, "We can only go up from here." And then there went the rug, and I went, "Well, fuck."
2: Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but and it happens in the blink of an eye. Oh yeah. And and the reason I brought up Chuck is because I've never been close to Chuck. Um, I've known Chuck since. Scott McKenzie was in Element H and then Breckenridge. So I, I, I kind of, and I, you know, I don't mean this to sound derogatory, but they were kind of our baby brother band. Right. But they developed into their own thing. Right. To where they, you know, it, it wasn't being associated with Outspoken. Right. They stood on their own. Right. It did, And it didn't take very long. Um, but, you know, before Kevin died in the last year of his life, um, you know, because Kevin... When Kevin played with Cracker, uh, you know, he'd go and sometimes he'd play a casino or sometimes they'd play a big club or sometimes he would play a fucking football stadium. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they could be playing to 100,000 people in front of Kenny Chesney or or they could be on a cruise or they could be in a a state fair. Yep. He was gigging around the country and around the world. Oh, absolutely. And when he was home, he, he did what working musicians do. Yeah. He played music. Yeah. Kevin called me one day. He played on Sunday night with my ex, Christine Devereaux, at Diamonds in St. Matthews. Mm -hmm. He was out on the deck playing on a Sunday, and he said Chuck came in, and you know he's like, "Hey, man!" And then after the set was over, he's like, "What are you doing playing here, man? You know what's going on? Why why are you playing here?" Right. And and he said. That struck me so sideways, like, this is what I do. Yeah. This is how I pay my bills. Yeah. Whether it's playing, working for you know Matt Schaefer, opening up for Kenny Chesney, or whether it's making a hundred and a half dollars doing an acoustic gig on a Sunday night. Right. This is my job. Yeah. And he said, and he, he you know, it just it caught him up wrong, and he was like, man, that that just that got under my skin. I'm right. Like, well, it, I just didn't know if that was if that was a dig, because it, he took it as a dig. I,
0: I I will tell you because I know Chuck so well, it wasn't a dig. But I will tell you that Chuck doesn't get the whole cover thing. He doesn't get the whole we play to play to play to play to play.
1: Right. I understand
0: that. So sometimes it 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 gets lost on him that somebody who can tour with Cracker and do all that shit, when he comes home, he still wants to fucking play. He still wants... I don't give a shit where I play. St. Matthew's deck? I'm in. Whereas the way Chuck looks at it and the way Chuck has done things... But a lot of people do that too.
1: Absolutely. It's not just Chuck.
0: Yeah, yeah. But the way he looks at it, he's like, all right, I just got off the road. I'm going to chill at home until I need to do something next. Right. Not that, oh my God, I'm home. I got two weeks off. I'm going to go play with my buddies. Right. And that's not a slam on Chuck at all. Right. I'm not slamming on you, Pumpkin.
1: It's just it's just it, different it's mindsets.
0: A, yeah, it's a completely different mindset. I've got guys, and I won't I won't say their names, because I'm not going to be mean, but I've got guys that I want to wring their fucking necks because right. they won't go out and play. I don't give a shit if you play covers. I don't give a shit if you write 20 originals. You are too good to not be in public playing. Right. Go fucking play. Just go kick. Yeah, and they won't. And it drives me batshit, but it's that kind of mentality. I think it's just like, eh, that's not my thing.
1: I don't want to do it. If you stop looking at gigging as a singular, people approach gigging as in a. Um, so many people in who do primarily original music, mm-hmm. and, you know, traditionally in their life, mm-hmm. they approach gigs in a vertical fashion. Gigs are pow and. The meter goes straight up through, and you see the spike, and it's like this. Yep. Everyone else, working musicians or people who have careers, it's all horizontal. It's all lateral movement. It's yep. it's here to here. It's not flatlined. Boop, straight up. It's yep. it's always hovering. It's always kind of you know yeah. humming along. But it, it's it's that approach. It's big gig. And then a month, two months, three months, big gig. Yep. Two months, three months, big, big gig. gig. Yeah. Those are ego gigs. Those are gigs that people lay in their bed at night and go, honey, how did we do? Yeah. Y'all were great. Oh, thanks, baby. You know what I mean? Those are, I can get the best blowjob at home gigs. Those aren't players, right. those are people who are in it for the perception of being an abandoned.
0: Gig. Right. And I've been on both sides of the fence because for the first 17 years I played, before I went to music school, I did nothing but originals. Right. Did tour buses, did the whole nine yards, and it was exactly that. The big gig. Right. Every eight, nine, ten weeks. It's true. You're, you're looking for that, oh, we opened up for so-and-so. Yeah. Oh, we played with so-and-so. Oh, we played that room. Yeah. Oh, we did that. I get it. When I did that, when I... And I hate to use the word switched over, but that's kind of how it happened. When I switched over to the cover thing and started really becoming a working musician, it's because I got a call from a friend of mine when I was at AIM. Called me on a Monday, wanted me to fill in for him on a Friday. he said, I broke my hand or what the fuck ever he did. I don't remember. He physically couldn't play. He said, I'll send you the tunes, 60 songs, 65 songs, whatever the hell it was. He said, just go do the gig. And I was like, I don't know how to fucking do covers. Only covers I've ever done is on all the original bands I've been in, and right. we quote reworked them. He's like, "Dude, you you can fucking play. I know you. You'll be fine." Go to I do the gig. I botched some shit, but I made it through it. I charted all the songs. We got done with the gig. Dude, the singer hands me two one hundred dollar bills, and I said, "What the fuck is this for?" And he goes, "That's your cut." And I said, "Excuse me, do what?" Yeah. And I went, "Oh, oh, light bulb! That's light bulb! That's how people end up." Doing it right so what i did was for a long time even when, after i moved up here for a long time i did both i had the original shit and i was doing the cover shit so i was getting the best of both yeah. worlds and then when all the bullshit with heaven hill went down that was it for me i was i just i had enough and then i did the zoo kings with dave and bobby O. right um and that was unfortunately short-lived that should have lived longer right um but we weren't on the same page Good. And and we're all friends, so I'm not talking shit about anybody. It's just just we just weren't on the same page. Happens. Uh, Yeah. So, but that was really the last original thing I did. And do I miss it? Yes. Would I like to get in a room and start writing tunes? Yes. Am I going to? Probably not. Right. And I will tell you why. And this is jaded and shitty of me, and I don't care. Because the majority of people now are so fucking ADD, they're not going to get it, and they're not going to like it. So I feel, and I could be wrong,
2: but I don't think I am,
0: I feel like it would be a waste of my time, considering I can go book myself for the next six months, right? play almost every weekend, and make money. So it's, do I really want to hole myself up in a fucking rehearsal room and write a bunch of songs that I'm going to get 20 of my friends to see once and then nobody's going to care anymore because people are so ADD now? Cause it's not like it what well, it used to be, you know what I mean? You used to be able to go and write a bunch of tunes, and people gave a shit. Right now they don't because if they're not, if you don't get them within the first thirty seconds, what happens? You're looking at the top of their head right. because their face is in their fucking phone.
1: Or you can do it for self nourishment.
0: That's why I have a podcast.
1: Gotcha. I that's understand. that's I, part I totally of understand.
0: the reason why I started this was totally to get understand. my creativity and my creative outlet out. Because it, as much as I love playing, let's be honest, playing covers is not a shit ton of creativity. No, no, no. It's not a shit ton of a creative outlet. And I was starting to get a little, I gotta get this fucking shit out of me. Right. Yeah. And Somehow. I, yeah, somehow. And that's not to say that I will never be in an original band again. You could call me tomorrow and go, hey, I'm starting a project, and I will probably highly, highly consider it, and we might start something. But the actual probability of it is slim to none. because And it's, I'm probably slight I'll go 50/50 about being wrong or right but that's just the way I feel now right and and it's because part of it and I'm guilty of this is when somebody tells me ah, dude I'm starting an original project my first thought is why right why why would you do that what what the fuck's matter with you <laughs> you know what I mean right and I I, I, sh- I I totally get it i should probably change my perspective and i get that but it's also on the other end of it i've been burned so many times really I, Do I want to fucking do that or would I just rather, would I rather run, put something together, run it myself and just have a good time and make some money? Because I'm 43. Ain't nobody fucking calling me to go on tour with so-and-so. Right. I, I, I know this. Are you sure? About 95%. Okay.
1: (laughs) About 95% sure. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, you know, that's kind of a good segue because this this thing I'm doing um, with my best friend Scott McKenzie, um, music wise, it is purely an exercise in vanity. Nice. It, is, it is not a uh, there is no plan to gig it. There is no plan to do anything but finish the total uh, batch of songs, get them finished recording, mastered. And up, and available, right. As a totally therapeutic exercise for me, no, I get for, it for um, for my mental health, and for kind of a, it's time. I lost my mother, a really good friend, and one of my best friends within eighteen months, right. And that'll
0: make you rethink your priorities.
1: And, and, and my mother had a four year terminal illness. Right. Leading up to that. Um, so I'd kind of been a primary caregiver. Right. So, and I had a, you know, immediately before that, I had a breakup that tore me, kind of tore me apart, tore me down pretty good. Right. So I was kind of on my heels when mom got sick. Um, and you know, for the next, um, 12 16 what is this year 18 carry 19 um, carry the wine. yeah I mean it's, <laughs> I mean it was it was, uh, it, was uh, it was a good four four and a half years and everything just kind of exacerbated, right you know my lack of focus in my life, my lack of paying attention to my emotional well-being, right my mental health, my outlook, who I was, it all came to a head. And those three losses were like punch. Oh, yeah. Punch. And then, you know, we, Kevin's was maybe, I say the worst. I mean, losing my mother is the worst. Right. But Kevin's, we saw it coming for a year. Yeah. We knew that it was going to happen. We watched it slowly happen. Mm hmm. Um, and um, it, when he finally passed on that Thursday, I, I've still got the fucking text. I remember. I was. I didn't. I I didn't have any emotion. I was. I was so shell shocked. Anyway, and, right. and my my head was so fucked up. Shell. I, I was shell shocked.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. Anyway, that I thought. Boy, this one's going to be, this one is going to, this one is going to cause, I knew it was going to be problems. Right. I'd already started therapy with a doctor. I had to get to the bottom of a lot of personal issues. Right. Um, a lot of self-esteem, a lot of a lot of emotional issues, just a, things that go into snowballing, Not not tending to your emotional health. Right. The way you should. Right. Not treating yourself like you should. Just as a person. Right. It became detrimental to my everyday life. Right. To to the point to where I couldn't...
0: Where functionality was becoming a problem. Functionality was a
1: problem. Yeah. I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't... Going to a gig put me into an anxiety attack to the point to where I couldn't hardly play the gig. I would have to step outside. I would have to not be in the bar until... 30 seconds or a minute before we played. Right. I would have to go outside. And when I'd see somebody walking on stage, I'd walk in and I'd go do the gig. Gotcha. I couldn't do it. I, I, j- I lost confidence in everything about me. Right. And it was tough. So I started seeing a doctor. I started headed off. And then the Kevin thing. And it was, it was a delayed reaction. And it's... Um, Three times a day, I'm like, holy shit, I got to send that. Motherfucker.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, goddamn, he's going to think this is... Fu- motherfucker. Yeah. You know, I know he... Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like that. It's like, I go to tell him something, and you know, I didn't have to be up his ass, Right. I didn't have to be one of his cronies who followed him around and was like, hey, Kevin, 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 Kevin. Hey, Kevin, I'll pay for this. Hey, Kevin, I'll pay for that. Oh, I'll take you here. I'll take you there. I'll do what you say. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wasn't the crony who was like, I would, you know. Right. I didn't have to. Right. I didn't need to buy my way into his life. Right. I didn't need to kiss his ass, Up, you know.
0: I, I get it. And I get it.
1: Quick story. To tell you who Kevin, Ke- Kevin and I are massive Cheap Trick fans. One of the first things we bonded over is people. Um, so a few years ago, they're on the, Cracker was on the road and they played some gigs with Cheap Trick, Cheap Trick and, and Aerosmith. They were the opening fucking gig, the opening band of a Cheap Trick and Aerosmith show gig for like three nights. Nice. So he's with, um, and I'm like, you son of a bitch, you know. And it was like way far away to where I couldn't travel and you know hang or go see the shows.
2: Right.
0: You motherfucker. Yeah.
1: So I, I, I've been. At, I was really, really sick. I was living up in Clifton, and I was. I was really sick, and I'd been in bed all day and all night, and I felt really bad, and I was kind of sweaty and just. Uh, and I'm laying there, and I've kind of fallen asleep. Do you like Cheap Trick? Do you know of che- much of Cheap Trick? I'm not a huge, huge fan, but do, do you know, I know the song enough. "Hello There"?
2: Hello there, ladies, yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah two something in the morning pick up the phone and it's kevin and i'm like oh this what the fuck he's <laughs> he's hammered so i'm like hello and he goes hello there frank green hello there frank green are you ready to rock and i was like he goes hey frank it's robin zander and i was like oh, yeah are you fucked And I'm like, that motherfucker. And he started to laugh. And he hands us the phone back to to Kevin. And Kevin was like, I got you, you motherfucker. And I'm like, are you shitting me? He goes, I'm in the bar drinking with Robin Zander. And I asked him if he would do that for you. Because, I mean, you know, we're such huge Cheap Trick fans. He goes, and I'm fanboying my, you know, we've been drinking for two or three hours. And I'm fanboying my brains out. (laughs) So here I am laying in the bed full and covered in scum from a a flu in Clifton at 2.30 in the morning on some random night feeling like I got nothing in the world. You know what I mean? Right. And then Kevin calls me at this hour and he puts Robin Zander on the phone and Robin Zander sings hello uh, or uh, g- hell, uh, hello there to me but uses my name. Right. And I thought <sighs> and I, I, you know after I lay, and then I hung up the phone and I'm like Wow. That son of a bitch. Yep. That was Kevin. I know. That was that that was Kevin. Well, and I think
0: most people that were close to him he did little things like that all the time.
1: Absolutely. It 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 had nothing to do with what it could do for him or how it made him look. Yes. It wasn't self-serving.
0: No, it was my buddy's going to like this, and he's going to laugh his tits off. Let's do this. Yeah. And that was Kevin. It's... it's.
1: He didn't advertise anything. No. it he wasn't, hey, look at... Hey, look... It was just... No. He just did things... He was a great friend Yeah, to people. And he... When we did the
0: avant-garde dog stuff, when that whole thing started...
1: There's about 12
0: of you that need to fucking pay attention, by the way. When that whole thing started, it was... His songs that he wrote. Yeah. He played all the shit. You know the whole story. And then a lot of those songs were pre even outspoken. A lot of those were
1: Michigan songs.
0: Oh, yeah. A lot of that shit. Dead in the Water, he wrote that fucking eight, nine years before he met me. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he he wanted me. So he got me. He got Bruce LaFrance to play bass. Right. And then Mike Ingles did to play guitar. Yeah. It was the four of us. And we were doing the avant garde dog shows. Which, ironically, is where I met Stacy. Or, not where I met her. I met her at Mom's, but I got right. to know her at the Avant-Garde Dog Shows. Um, and then he got the call for... Uh, I don't remember who it was now. I'm fucking blanking. It was before Cracker. I don't remember who it was. So anyway, we he put it on the back burner. Right. And then he came back. And me, him, and Chip, and Steve Clark started a band called Eargasmic. That didn't right. last very long because Steve Clark and Chip Adams hate each other. Right. Um shocker there and then he went to big rock show yeah and then he got the call for cracker yeah the reason i'm telling you all this is because he kept work all this whole time he kept working on those avant-garde yeah, dog yeah, songs absolutely. and then he calls me in 2011 and he says he recorded hey, them at head first too
1: yeah but he played but,
0: the drums on those
1: yes he did or at least some of them. He had Donnie play on some too. Right, but the avant garde dog record that he released. No, no, yeah, I'm, I'm just talking about the demoing.
0: You know? No, yeah, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. You, thank you for for pointing that out because I forgot to mention that. You, you, yes. Um, so then he calls me from the road one day and he says, uh, he says, "What are you doing, fucker?" I was always fucker to him. He said, "What are you doing, fucker?" And I said, "I'm whatever I was doing." And he said, "Well, you know, I'm on tour." I said, "Yeah." He said, "I'll be in Nashville in, I don't know, two weeks or whatever." And I said, "Okay." He said, "Check your email." what are you talking about, Kevin? He said, I sent you the songs that you're going to play on. See you in Nashville. And he (laughs)
2: hung up on me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like him, dude. And that, I was like, okay, so I'm still, I texted him. I was like, I'm still your drummer. And he goes, well, duh. So Greg did six, five or six songs. I did seven or eight, but that's how we recorded the record. And then I went down there and knocked all my songs out in a day. He went back on tour with Cracker. Yeah. And then he, he released it, uh, was it fifteen or sixteen? I don't remember.
1: What's that? The year? Yeah, it was it was sixteen. I think it was sixteen.
0: He passed last year, right? Yeah, in seventeen.
1: Yeah, and seventeen. That's what I thought. So yeah, September September of seventeen.
0: Yeah. So September of sixteen is when he released it. I, er, yeah. When he finally got it finished and and put it put out the physical copies. Thank you, because my timeline memory blows. Um, but it, it was funny because he calls me and he goes, "Did you listen to it?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Can you tell which one's you?" And I said, "Yeah, the loud kick drum." And he says, "Do you remember playing any of that?" And I went, "No." I remember the optimist. That was it. Right. He said, "The optometrist." Yeah, the optometrist. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "I said, yeah, I don't, I, I, don't remember that." And he said, "Well, you, you got to get ready because we're going to do a show." He said, "Relearn your parts." I was like, God damn it, Kevin. Right. Which never happened, and it, it is what it is, and I'm not going to get into that here. Um, Kevin and I talked about it, and that's fine. But it was, it was that. It was one of those things where he was always, check this out. Yeah. I'll be back. And then he was, he was gone, yeah. but, and it was never, again, it was never about him. Look what I can do or look what I've done. Right. It was, let's do some shit. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was the thing that was so awesome about him. Yeah. But to bring it all back around, I, I get it what you're talking about when you went through all that shit. Kevin, Kevin hit me hard. I, I've, I don't. I don't deal with death very well. Right. Obviously nobody does. That's not what I mean. I'm the blocker. Right. Oh. Somebody's dying? I don't know you anymore. A lot of people are like that. Yeah. I'm a blocker. I'm a bad blocker. And the reason I'm a blocker is because, I, um, I don't even remember the year, I can't remember. My, and I've never talked about this on the show, let's have some therapy. My cousin, who I was very, very close to, and most people that know me, I'm not close to anybody in my family, except my my dad and my sister. Um, But my cousin, she was an awesome kid, and she wanted to, she lived 400 miles away from me at the time and called me and said, I want to come live with you. I hate it where I am. And I said, you can't. I have a tiny apartment. I was with my ex-wife. I said, you can't. She said, "I, I need to come live with you. You're awesome. I love you. I said, you can't. Two months later, she hung herself. That fucked me up.
2: Right.
0: Obviously, that fucked me up. And I blamed myself for a long time. So I really did the whole blocker thing after that. I was like, you're going to die? Fuck you? Yeah. You stay the fuck away from me. Because...
1: Just ignore it and it goes away.
0: Yeah. So how this all ties into Kevin is I knew Kevin was going. um, And we all did, like you said. And I saw him the day before he died. And his last words to me were, you're still ugly, God love him, fucker. And when it, when I got, just like most of us, I got the call that Thursday, and I was fine with it. Or I thought I was fine with it. Right. He made peace with it, but I didn't.
1: He was a creeper. Yeah. He was a serious creeper.
0: Yeah, and I, I made a post about it, and I don't expect anybody to go find it, but I broke down in the middle of Hobby Lobby, which is fucking funny to me, because... <laughs> My tattooed white trash ass is in the middle of the candle aisle, sitting right. Indian style, crying my fucking eyes out, while Stacy
1: was on the other side of the store in the prints, <laughs> looking know. at all the all the prints, yeah, and the and the swatches yeah. and the cloth.
0: <laughs> I don't know where she was, but I I texted her and I was like, "You have to come. I need your keys. You have to. I have to get the fuck out of the store." Right. And it didn't dawn on me till a few days later what it was that made me snap. They were playing Amazing Grace. Right on. Like an hour. Actually, it wasn't even an hour because I, I got the call, now that I think about it. Murphy called me when we were sitting in the parking lot at Hobby Lobby. We just pulled up. Um, so maybe 20 minutes after I got the call and then that song came on and I fucking lost it. Right. Um, and then fast forward, I was like, all right, cool, I'm fine. And then when my buddy Jamie Harris passed away a couple weeks ago, well, it's been, I guess it's been four weeks now, that one fucked me up too. It opens up the floodgate. Yeah, it well, it opens the floodgate because n- he just had a, a heart attack out of the middle of nowhere. Right. And I just saw him two days before.
1: That's was my buddy Jody, who passed, was like that, too. Yeah, I was like, what the...
0: do what? Yeah. So,
1: y'all need to stop dying. Yeah, he woke up. Have a brother out. Didn't <laughs> feel good. Went to lay on the kitchen tile because it was cold. Mm-hmm. Wife went to get him a Welsh rag, and between... Him walking in there to get on the towel and her getting washed right, he was gone in 30 seconds. It's
0: crazy. That's how fast that happened with Jamie. I mean, I guess the blessing is he didn't suffer. Absolutely. But it still sucked because it was like... Just like, what? Wait, what? Yeah. What do you mean Jamie's got... Ironically, Murphy called me on that one too. He's like, dude, um, I don't know
2: how to tell you this. Yeah.
0: But it's 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 just weird. I don't know how we got to talking about death.
1: But point is, treasure your friends, fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> but deal, but it's 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 kind of back to, I was like the the, it was like the three punches. Yeah. It's like I can't. Yeah. But Kevin's crept up on me. Yeah. And, and but and it, and it's been the hardest to resolve in the big picture. Yeah. Uh, because we we shared so many memories. You see that, don't you? Yeah. That sits there all the time. That has nothing to do with you. Right. That's been there
0: since the day I got it.
1: Light it up for me. I'm going to. See it. I see it now. I had to put the glasses on there. Yeah. It's been sitting there since the day he gave it to me. Right on.
0: Because he gave it to me probably, I guess, two weeks before he passed. Those of you that have been in the office, you know what I'm pointing at. Those of you that are listening to the show, I have a guitar pick necklace that... Kevin's sister made for me. Right on. And Kevin gave it to me. Uh, it was a week or two before he passed. And when he passed, I I wore it twice. And then it's been... I have these really cool nautical star oh, lamps Oh, my God. My lamps are cool, bitch. Gotcha. Don't even start with me. But it's hung on that lamp ever since. That's where I stuck it. It's been there ever since. And I have another one right there. Right on. Mm-hmm. But, yeah... It, it's weird because, to kind of bring it around and land a plane, the plane, the unfortunate part is it makes you think, and not in a not think in a good way. It makes right. you go,
1: "How many more of these fucking things am I going to have to deal with?"
0: Not only that, but how many more of my friends have I neglected? Yeah. Whether you have or
1: not is irrelevant. That's yeah, and that's but why it, I'm, but yeah. it makes you think. It makes you think about that shit. I've spent a lot of time in the last year. Um, almost going on of quite a year and a half, fifteen months, telling people how much I love them, right. telling people how much, and showing them. Yeah, hey, won't you do this with me? Won't you come to a show? Let's go on a road trip. Yeah, let's let's go hey, get a coffee. I just want to tell you I love you, and I I love you know I love I and I respect the shit out of you because you do this and you're you're a great you know you know and just right things that you, people need to hear. From somebody who's living instead of going. God, I'm, when he died, he had he left a bunch of shit. Boy, he was a pack rat. Right. You know, I want him to go. Oh, he had a great. He had nice things to say. He actually right. appreciated me, and I, we were good friends, and we were we were fine. Nothing unsaid. Right, and I, I will be very selfish by saying this. I have been
0: lucky and or fortunate, however you want to word it. I got to tell Kevin I loved him, and I got to tell Jamie I loved him. Because mine and Jamie's thing, every time we saw each other, first one to smack the, ch- the other one in the back of the neck. That was our thing. And whenever we parted ways, it was love you, fucker. Right. And I got to say it to him. So I, I feel really fortunate in that. But it, it's just weird when you think about all that shit because, and you're going to like this segue, or this tie around, I should say. We're going we're gonna to put a bow on this bitch. When you have all these stupid fucking clicks, yeah. you either want to make music or you don't.
1: Right.
0: It's not really that complicated. Right. Why are you making it harder? Absolutely. Like uh, Cousin Eddie said at at the table since it's near Christmas, why are you crying?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Cousin Eddie. (laughs) What in the world? Are you ever going to let me talk about this thing that I'm doing? Yes. All right. I'm very sorry. All right. So anyway, there's this thing that I'm doing, and it involves music. And there's people, and there's music. Cool story, bro. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. No, seriously, what are you doing? Uh, I've resolved through part of my getting through this time in my life Mm -hmm. and closing a chapter in my life was the realization that I had something to say to myself. Right. And that I wanted to do something for me not for anyone else. Right. I needed to I needed to prove to myself and I needed to get this out of my system. This whole time of my life and this last 3 or 4 years this this cave in mm-hmm. in my life and the subsequent start a rebuilding. Right. And these songs that go with this that that will eventually be released. Not I don't have any plans to gig it or whatever. But They are all part of a concept in my head. I'm a Mm -hmm. huge concept record person. I am a fucking... It's kind of where, you know, what what are you listening to? We'll get into that, but I'm a concept record fanatic. All of a sudden, I started realizing these songs were all concepts. They were all different pieces of this giant story, which was this ball of wax that I had built in my life. That was in, just encased me in every negative feeling and every detrimental mindset. Right. And every bit of baggage that you could carry. And this was a way of shedding it all. I and get once that. I started, it was like, oh, I started to sleep. The medication really took hold. And I started paying attention and doing the things that I'm supposed to do in therapy. And being mindful of my own mental health and having boundaries and setting yep. them a shit. And all of a sudden the songs started coming one by one piece parts, piece parts. It's still not finished. Right. Um, but my best friend, Scott McKenzie is working well on it with me. He does. He's a great at arrangement. I'm like, I need you to help with arrangements. Right. I'm like meat and potatoes. That's a
0: drummer thing, dude. Yeah. That's where my strength all is. My, all
1: my drummer friends are like that. Yeah. It, I uh, can arrange anything. Otherwise it's first verse is short Uh, First chorus is short, second verse is double, second chorus is double, bridge, no solo, (laughs) chorus out. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's that. It's like meat and potatoes. Oh, no, no, I get it. And so he gives me, he shows me things. He's like, cue cards, hey, over here, look over here. And I'm like, oh, there's something over there. Yep. He gives me that. And it inspires me. But the collection of songs, and I'm gonna, rec- I'm gonna put them out in cl- in clusters of three, I think, uh, with nine total, and they're gonna be known as the the Great Depression. That's what the collection is gonna be called, the Great Depression. When I heard one day I was reading something and I was like, the
2: Great, <laughs> and I was just yeah. like,
1: what? How is? How have you not even thought about that? Right. I was like, people talk about. Th- I lived through the Great Depression. I'm like, well, that makes two of us, Dick. Yeah, I you lived know? through my own. Right. I mean, but it's obviously metaphoric in some way. But I wanted it encapsulated this process.
0: Right. You do not have to answer this, but you have an open invitation if you want to do anything with me. Oh, right on. You and Absolutely. Scott can come, and I'll play whatever you want me to play. Okay. And,
2: uh,
0: and, or you can tell me to go pounce all. I don't care. Okay. But I, I like, will. All my musician friends who ha- who are writing their own shit, I tell them all the time, come on the
1: show, play. I'll play whatever fucking songs you want me to play. So, I mean, Scott plays drums and he helps me arrange. Mm-hmm. The band name it's going to be called a band. I don't. It's not going to be called Frank Green and the Rump Rangers. <laughs> although <laughs> although I looked and it's available. <laughs> It would probably be best to be Frank Green and nine additional serial killers. So, it, 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 actually, it would you, be eight, because that would have to be the ninth. Well, you could, have a number. Thing. You could call
0: it Frank Green and the Fiskas. You haven't heard last week's episode. I know you will get to it eventually, but last week I announced that I am retiring from teaching. Okay. I'm not teaching anymore. I, I, I may go back to it in a year or so, but I need a fucking break. Okay. Fisca... And I can say this because I don't really care. Isn't that a carbonated drink? No. Okay. Fisca is what... I've had a few in my life, in the form of a student, when you look at them and go, you're totally a future serial killer of America. I see it in your fucking face. You need yeah. to get out of my room. Yeah. You can do Frank Green and the
1: Fiskas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the band Turds of Misery. <laughs> You ever seen those guys it's like an old picture from like the 70s have you ever seen them no that's pretty funny the turds of misery you know the old you know that old band it's turds of misery man you act like you've never seen the turds of misery oh you talking about toto i wish <laughs> that's pretty funny though <laughs> when you see these cats there it is it's turds of misery it even says it on the shirts. That is a serial fucking killer convention. Uh, yeah, that totally is. It's the world's first serial killer supergroup, is what it is. <laughs> totally. Wow. So, Dark yeah. Dad. <laughs> Turds of misery. Jesus Christ. So um, anyway, <laughs> but but the record is part of that. The band the band name that it's going to come out under <coughs> um, is called Silkwood Showers. Do you remember the movie Silkwood? But, it was share Vaguely. it was it was about uh, um, the um uh, the 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 contamination at a nuclear plant yes 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 the yes, Aaron brokovich yes, yes. thing yep, um, yep 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 but when they would de- decontaminate them they call it you know showering and a friend of mine heather um w- we talk you know we would talk about when you feel really fucking gross or like, oh, I was there and I went home and I, I, like you take a Silkwood shower. You just, it's the hottest water and yep. it's like you scrub your skin. You're like, oh, I just fucking feel gross. Yeah. But I always refer to it as those, you know, she did as Silkwood showers. And I was like, oh, I like that. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And I was like, it's just going to be called Silkwood showers. The band, the project and the pro- and the name of the, the product will be the Great Depression. Nice. It's a little bit of everything and uh it's whatever I want it to be.
2: Nice. Oh,
1: and
0: um, well you have an open invitation. Right on. Thank if you. If you wanna if you wanna play anything here. And if you don't, I don't give a shit. Right sure. on. But maybe you that. wanna do. Yeah. I I I will always support anything any of my friends do. Thank you, man. Um there is a one particular musician in town. Spoiler. Not going to say his name, though. He is going to put one of his songs on my show soon. Oh, right on. And he's pretty stoked about it. Um, not because it's on my show, just because it's another platform. Right. It has nothing to do with me, which I know that sounds kind of contradictive, but it really doesn't. It's just another outlet right. for him to get his music out there. I understand. And I'm like, fuck yeah, c- bring it. Whatever yeah. you want me to play, I'll play it. Um, but I have an idea. Because mm-hmm. we've been going for a while. Okay. Let's do a part two down the road.
2: All right,
1: let's do, do it. Think? You want to do that? Whatever you want. No, I only waited like five and a half months for this, right by the phone. <laughs> so sure, waiting another five and a half months. When are you going to call me Easter? All right, fine. Do a countdown. And we'll take another break. No, um, we mm-hmm. can't go another. We've been going too long.
0: I know. We've been going for over two hours.
1: Oh, that's terrible. Right. I was trying to make this not so messy. Right. And we haven't Ugh. even got to the other things. That's oh, why I said. I'm sorry. Don't.
0: Yeah. Be, no, I don't. I, I can't. Don't be sorry. No. I know you can't. <laughs> Jesus. I'm, wow. See how I'm, I'm out, sorry? I'm looking out for you, brother. What are you apologizing for? You're because it's
1: ridiculous. I live here. I mean, it,
0: <laughs> nobody wants to hear me and you talk for two hours. They, they listen to me and Tony Clark talk for two hours and 45 minutes. That's different.
1: Tony's good. What the fuck are you, chopped liver? I'm talking about you.
0: Oh. <laughs> High five in a microphone. Was... <laughs> oh, come on, man. Well played, fucker. Um, you know I'm just well, fucking with no, you. No, well played. Do you want to keep going?
1: Uh, no. Okay, fine. I mean, what have I been here? Three hours? Yeah. This is terrible. What kind of place do you run in here? It's like a sweatshop. That's because I turned the heat on because it's cold outside. You're right. It's like 60 degrees outside. You're in here. It's like... You're, like curing like hams. Do
0: you remember my wife after that one night? <laughs> no, after the second
2: night. Oh,
0: yeah. When she I put was her sore. eyes. When she yeah. Well, well, I know. I mean, my ass hurt for a week constantly. I, well, she's good at that, but she's also good at putting her ice cold ass and her ice cold toes on you. That's the because best because
1: she's always fucking cold. That's the best part about having a woman in the bed It's the cold ass and the feet. That's the best part. Love that shit. You're fucking weird, and I I'm love it. I'm Ward. I'm warm. Ward. Warm. I'm Ward. <laughs> I'm totally fucked up. I'm warm. I'm, I'm always warm. Yeah, I'm a heater. <laughs> love you. I love you, man. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I'm Wait.
1: sorry this turned into such a fucking, I, I, a weird kind of thing. Apologize for nothing. Okay, I'm not really apologizing, but. You know, it's Tangent City with me. Uh, dude, we play music. Yeah. We're squirrels.
2: It's t- You've listened to it's enough of my shows.
0: Oh, yeah. All right, so let's let's do this correctly. All
2: right, let's do it. Hey, guys. This is Steve Owens from Fascination Street Podcast here with a very important message. I'm awesome. I bet you thought I was going to say something else, but nope. What's important here is that I am awesome. I have a podcast called Fascination Street, and it allows me to bring to my listeners some of the most fascinating stories and guests. I started this show because I truly believe that everybody has a story, and I'm fascinated to hear those stories. In the short time I've been doing this show, I've interviewed actors, directors, writers, inventors, podcasters musicians, pro athletes, Olympic athletes, actual war heroes, even a Bond girl and a luthier, whatever the hell that is, and of course regular people. From people who wanted to be stars but never gave it a real try, to big company CEOs and people who got to meet their favorite president. I love getting to meet and speak with people who have a story to tell. I feel like everyone does and it's my job to get them to tell it. You never know who my next guest will be, an Academy Award-winning actor, a platinum-selling musician, or your own mother-in-law. But one thing is for certain, you will be fascinated by their story. So come take a walk with me down Fascination Street. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and of course, FascinationStreetPod.com.
0: Well, that's it, kids. That's the show for the week. But... You are coming back and not in five months. Let's do month tops. Okay. Deal?
1: What about Christmas Day? Like 8 o'clock Christmas morning.
0: What if we do 6 o'clock on a Christmas morning and put it on a Dream Theater record? Oh, Um, I see what I did there. I think
1: I would rather... Careful. um, I think I would rather use all of my vacation time to uh, (laughs) pound sand in my own ass than to ever do anything with a dream theater record playing anywhere in my earshot it's 30 seconds ago i loved you now i don't I, 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 there's some there's some things i just can't abide i can't abide that shit oh and the kings and the knights and the the, the keyboards they go and the guitar player with the giant beard all of a sudden he goes And the Asian bass player goes, and then the drummer goes, it sounds like a fucking work boots in a dryer. It's like, just shut up.
0: I bet you like Rush though, don't
1: you? No, they weren't ever one of my favorites. There's the Rush stuff that I like, I love as a whole, not a big fan. All right, fair enough. You know what? I'm just kidding about the Dream Theater. Oh, dude, I
0: don't give a shit. It doesn't bother me. I don't
1: know anything they do. I know they're pretentious as
0: fuck. I think all of us are pretentious as fuck. There's Not just different like levels of pretentiousness. That, yeah,
1: that's <laughs> escalated. Oh, absolutely. Let's that's like, that's escalate that to a federal level, pretension. I, no, no, no. I Listen. I, it, I I don't, I don't.
0: No, no, no. Here's all I'm going to say. I don't give a shit. I really oh, I don't. understand. I it, understand. People you, you like bust it. my balls for shit I listen to all the
1: fucking time. Me too. I have a Neil Diamond box set over there. I have great shit that no one everybody laughs at. Oh, right. what are you doing? Yeah.
0: I don't give a care. <laughs> oh, I don't care either. I, I fucking You love like that what shit. you
1: like and that's what you like. Yeah. Period. Um But anyway, back to the the
0: actual real deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will not wait. We will we will we'll get we'll, to, we'll get it. Soon. We'll cap it on a month. And when you come back, we'll do social media issues. Okay. Stories from the stage, because you've got to right. have some good ones. Maybe. Oh, fuck you. You do. Uh, yeah. And what are you listening to? Okay. Because I want you to talk about concept records.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. I'll even go crazy on that one.
0: You can go crazy, but can you at least give me uh, Operation Minecraft? Thumb up or thumb down?
1: Oh, it's a great album.
0: Good fucking answer. It's the only answer that matters.
1: It's a gr- I mean, anybody it's the a who-
0: right answer. I mean,
1: I was the perfect age. I mean, I think I was 19, 20 when it came out.
0: Yeah, I was... in in the
1: demographic.
0: I was, uh, fuck, I don't know, five? No, I'm not that much younger than you. I know. I might have been seven. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I was early teens, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. I don't remember. But I remember the first concert I ever went to, the big concert, like right. in an actual right, arena, right, right, right. was Metallica with Queensryche opening for right. them on the mind crime tour. Yeah, they were doing the mind crime but uh Metallica was on an injustice tour. Right. But I remember going Metallica just got their fucking
1: asses whipped. That was like in the in the winter of that tour. The first part of that tour. That was in the winter of Injustice because I know that because when it got to the summertime it was the Cult was the opening act. The Cult was the opening act for the rest of the tour. First part was uh was with I was a huge Metallica fan. was Queen's right?
0: No, no, no! I, I will trust you. I'm trying. I'm legitimately trying to remember. I, I, I don't remember. I just remember that was my first arena show. My brother took me. I had these sword earrings that oh, were yeah. so heavy, and I decided to headbang, and did I you lost have the, both of them.
1: Did you have the Avon arrowhead necklace? No. Oh, okay. Cool. No,
0: I had these sword earrings. I made. I was a fucking freak, dude. I was. I, I, I was a that. fucking weirdo. That's all right. You went That's to the rock and roll though. I, Oh, I was. I, I went from Bon Jovi to Mohawks. I mean, I didn't give a shit. This is the result. It's no, actually, this is my mother. Thanks, Mom. Give me thin hair. Goddamn Thanks, Mom. It. Thanks, Mom. Um, but yeah, I, I will trust you on that. But yes, I, um, I was a huge Metallica fan. I always was. And then when I saw Queensryche hand them their ass, and that is saying something because Metallica is one of the greatest live bands ever. Even though Lars is kind of a douche. And he whines a lot.
2: Yeah, but
1: you—it's—it's—it's it's, it's the experience what, of them live yeah, was was
0: yeah was at one time
1: shit. was mm, life altering.
0: Oh, absolutely, it was. So I got to get my life altered twice because yeah. I didn't—I didn't know who Queenstrike was. I didn't—I never heard of him. I was just discovering right. all this new fucking music. Yeah, and I just remember going,
2: "Oh my
1: god, they just kicked Metallica's ass." Yeah, it's Charlotte Coliseum. That's where I saw song. The depth of the recordings. Got me. I, I started, I liked them. I had the, uh, my friend Scott, Scott McKenzie, had the EP,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then the warning came out, and we were just tripping on on the warning. Yeah, the warning's a great record. Oh, God. Uh, Roads to Madness, the best song on the record was like nine minutes long, the last uh-huh. song. Um, uh, in, uh, Before the Storm, that is a really cool song. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the first time I saw them was opening for Kiss at Commonwealth Convention Center on that tour. Nice. And it was just like, oh my god, they were so freaking good. So good. And then Kiss came out, and Jason, and Jason, Gene had his wig. You know, it was, <laughs> you know, they, they was, it was, it was, it was, it was animalized tour. Right. It was the gaudiest looking shit. And you're like, okay, Kiss rocks. This is, this is great, but it's also kind of Hokey. whatever. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Uh, but I was a Kiss fan when I was a kid. And then the next time I saw, you know, and then, uh, uh, what's the album after that? Um, Empire. No. Uh, F, oh, after F, The Warning. Uh, uh, Rage for Order. Yes, yeah. Rage for Order. 180 for the band. Oh, yeah. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, everything's kind of digital. And all they're, they're, ta- they're singing the songs about digital stuff or a new landscape. Yeah. Culturally and musically and, and cul- 1984-ish kind of shit. Yeah. And then the next one is mind crime. And it's like conspiracy and oh, government yeah. and killing people and the the Catholic Church and all this. And you're like, but the depth of the recordings, the quality of the recordings was like you could reach in and touch whatever was back there behind the bass guitar. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, wow. It was almost not 3D, but it, was, it had a depth of field that was unparalleled in hard rock at that point. Oh, absolutely.
0: And I think it, while you were talking about that it, it made me think because most most listeners to my show know that I'm I don't want to say obsessed, but I'm really into production values. Yeah. That might be where it came from, was listening to those records first. Yeah, Because anybody can say what they want about the Injustice for All record. I know there's no base on it. I know all the shit. I don't care. In my memory that record changed my earballs. I understand that because that re- nothing sounded like that record at that time, nothing. Now, listening to it now, eh. But going back because I lived through it and I was a, I was a kid and I bought it when it came out, and then the whole Queensrÿch Operation Mindcrime. I went and bought that after that concert and I was like,
1: oh my god,
0: I started listening to music way different right. even before I started playing a lot. So I get it. We totally just went down a rabbit hole. Let's
1: get the fuck out of here. All right. All right. So thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I won't. I'm hoping. uh, I hope I don't die in the next month. That is seriously. Dun, dun, dun. Cue the lightning.
0: Wow. That's what you're going to leave on.
1: And and then you can play this after I die. And you're like, this son of a bitch died in the three weeks since we did the podcast. (sighs) That son of a bitch owes me money. No, nobody owes me money. That's good. I'm glad I don't owe you money. No. It's not like I could do anything about it. I'm just saying I'm glad I don't owe you money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, man. As I say at the end of every episode,
1: go do some shit. Frank, go do some shit. Go do some shit. Go do some shit. Stop being a dick. (laughs) Be a good person. Be a better person. And go do some shit. And tell your friends you love them. Absolutely.
0: So until next time, I will talk at you soon.